You're looking very lean there, Keegan. Oh, stop it. It's just the lighting. <laughs> I was told good overhead lighting's the uh, the key to everything. It is. Yeah. I've seen, I, I seen on Instagram, you know, when you get those like random things that come up in your feed just from like nowhere. Yeah. Um, and somebody put, apparently in Italy, gyms have posing rooms where it's like a little booth in the middle of the gym where you go in and it's literally just downlighters. Yeah, yeah. So you can yeah. check it out, get some good Instagram shots. Yeah. That's the new wave of fitness coming our way. Yeah. Yeah. Or no working out. Yeah. Just, you know, go sit in a sauna for 10 minutes, go stand in front of the mirror when you're all dehydrated, call it a day. Yeah. Just have, have loads of like, just go for a piss for an hour and then you'll be lean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you on warrior? All good. Eat did, he, biscuit. did he hear us um, saying you were the most symmetrical guest we've ever had? Thank you. I'm just going for a Wes Anderson kind of vibe. <laughs> yeah, <Killing it. coughs> Eating a digestive. Have you dipped it in tea? No, I've got a, I've got a nice, I've got a coffee here though. It's only eight pm. Um, Sounds about right. <clears throat> it's been a long day. Yeah, I was going to say this is number three, but it's only one o'clock here. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, it's definitely not number three. That's for sure. I'm just drinking my peace tea. Yeah. I'm an old man. <laughs> how how can you drink a coffee at eight p.m. through a mug? <laughs> it, it goes good with the uh, the biscuit. What else are you going to do? Can't have water. Yeah, sorry, I was pumping myself on mute whilst I was chewing biscuit there. Um, <clears throat> do you know what? I actually find that um, I don't know if I'm broken, but I, I really like having a, a nap after I've had coffee. I've been there. I mean, I, I could, like, after we get off this, I could down that and go take a nap. No problem. Yeah. I think it makes me feel cozy inside. <laughs> it's like a nice hug before you go to bed. Exactly. And my dreams <laughs> are quite excited. My, my dreams are always fun, so it's like, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it aids that deep sleep? Mm, I, I genuinely, I don't think it affects me too much. Yeah, me neither. Um, you know. You know, in, in your youth, I think anxiety and life made me stay awake a lot more. Where now I find that, like, you know, even in the face of certain peril, um, I can have a good, I can have a good sleep. You'd make a good soldier. Sleep anywhere, wherever you can. <laughs> I do find I sleep a lot better these days. Good. The, the lack of stress, or maybe too much stress. I can't decide. <laughs> or just being able to deal with it better. Uh, I think it's just, I think it's just knowing that I can't do anything about it whilst I'm asleep. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's pretty much it. I think it's that realization that you there's nothing you can change or do about it. So it's very little point worrying about it at that time. Um, you know, unless there's something that you wake up and you need to resolve. Um, I feel like you have to go through a lot of stress to get to that point. Yeah, I've, I've definitely been there. Mostly, probably self-induced, uh, but certainly. <clears throat> I, I think that that does need to be a conscious decision prior to you going to sleep, though, because a lot of people take that with them in, in bed and, you know, kind of oh, going through all my, all my shit and I have to think about these things. Right, I'm going to sleep. Like, I, think it was a, I think it was a conscious, conscious decision about 10 years ago, but I don't think it's a conscious decision now. 
Um, I think it became to a point where I found peace and just, I don't know why I'm going to talk about this. It's boring. Um, I think I just came to a conscious decision that it was just like, I don't care if I'm awake or asleep as long as I'm resting. And as long as I've got good sheets. And I don't, and I think that was pretty much was the, was the line. And after that, it was just like, well, sleeping's fine. Cause if I don't sleep, it's not a stress. If I do sleep, sleep it is, but either way, I'm just not going to move. And after then I found sleeping really easy. Anyway. <laughs> well, I don't think that's, I don't think that's boring in the slightest. Yeah, actually, I slept like shit last night because I had a dog that had to get up every fucking ninety minutes to go to the bathroom. I don't know what she got into, and I was laying there at like five this morning. I probably was awake from like three to five thirty or six, and I was like, "Am I more irritated because I just have the understanding of what this is going to do to me tomorrow, or in an hour when I have to get up, as opposed to just..." If I didn't have that thoughts or didn't understand like how it was going to feel, I just go, like, "Ah, oh, fuck it, I'm up and I'm tired." Yeah, I think that was the that was the flip for me was when I thought that was when I was just like, "I don't care," you know, I don't care if I wake up and I've still got four hours left to sleep or I've only got thirty minutes left to just just rest and chill. And I found that easy, found that all right. I think it's a good way to go about it because you end up getting more stressed and neurotic about what you didn't do when you can't change it anyways. You can't be like, "Ah, oh, fuck, I need four more hours of sleep." Well, you can't get it, so. Now what? Exactly. I'm neurotic enough through the day. I don't need to add that into my evening yeah, schemes. No, no, sure. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hell, hey there. Welcome. Negative emotions, my old friend. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I think this is the very reason why we thought it would be good to actually have the conversation that, well, not the same conversation, because obviously it's never going to be the same conversation, but that really good conversation that we had that we never recorded that had some really good shit in it that I think people would like to hear. And I think, yeah, that that boring <clears throat> stuff, as Paul just coined it, that, that to me, that's not boring. Because that's <clears throat> how people, well, that's how I think about stuff. I think there are certain things with dealing with anxiety and stress that I had a conversation with a friend the other day and he was like, I don't know if I made the right decision. And I was like, it really doesn't matter because <clears throat> you've already made it. The decision is in the past. What, what happens now is how you react on it. And the only time it's worth really reflecting on is if you have to make the same decision or a similar decision, a parallel decision again, in which then you can reflect and utilize it. But spending your day worrying about whether you made the right decision when it's an unchangeable decision is pointless. It's, um, <clears throat> it's really good advice to take. Good advice to take, hard to implement. <clears throat> yeah, it is, it is It's hard to implement. And in some ways you have to, it's really funny. Um, working with Hindley, he frequently talks about gaslighting himself. He's just like, I'm going to tell myself whatever narrative is going to get me to where I need to be. And <laughs> just like, you know, he says like, I'm not going to get overly straight. He is youthful and he has got that about him, but he's like, I need to, need to understand the story that's going to make me cope with whatever's going on and you know he's not going to fabricate it it's not like a he's not trying to make an illusion for his life he's just trying to find and i guess that's what people do short term by finding motivational quotes online isn't it it's like oh that helps me in this moment um as a bit of a band-aid but i think if you can create scenarios where you can learn to <clears throat> reflect and move on from them and i think yeah it's hard to easier to advi advise people harder to implement but certainly um through practice easier to implement i mean there's lots of decisions you kind of reflect on and you think whether that was good or bad um 
or whether you have regrets, which I think are a real thing, despite, you know, the internet might tell me that there is no such thing as regret. Um, but yeah, I think it's a pretty practical way of moving forward is understanding that the rate of return, the stressing over decisions that you can no longer change is pointless. What would be, uh, what's the opposite to regret? What would that word be? I can't think of it. <clears throat> really? well, in the opposite regret, but with still having made a mistake or? No, no, just what, to yeah, just what's its opposite? What's the antonym of regret? Ooh. I, I well, think it has many. Action or sure. Yeah, I think it has a lot. I, I think that for that one word regret, I think there is many antonyms to that. But my point was going to be if those words exist, then like regret has to exist. Yeah. Like you have okay. to feel that at some point or maybe not, yeah. but I, like we do and I can't, I can't turn <clears throat> that off if I have that decision or that yeah. thought process. Like I don't think it's not real. Yeah. What did the, Paul, what did the internet say? Uh, I did, uh, satisfaction, happiness or gladness. See, it gladness. Have, yeah. <laughs> gladness. Gladness. <laughs> That's like a very internet, Instagram way to be right now, which is no negativity. Everything's gratitude. Everything's happy. And you're like, that's not, that's not how this works. It doesn't work that way for me anyway. But it can't do because if there's yeah. negativity, there's positivity and there's positivity, there has to be negative. There's always polar opposites. Yeah. yeah. But what, what's the opposite of gladness? Regret. Apparently regret. <laughs> Regretness. Gladness, <laughs> That's just a made-up word. Yeah, it might be. That's the Oxford yeah. English Dictionary. Go for it. Go figure yourself. Well, then, in a way of trying to not able to lead us into the conversation because we're always going to go off into tangents. But then, we were going to talk about ego, as we previously talked about, and maybe a bit about identity. But then, I suppose that conversation is talking about to me, goes down the lines of thinking about self-worth. And like, where's your self-worth anchored? Like, is that anchored in how you're perceived by other people? Or is it anchored in like a, a, a true understanding of your self-worth and what's important to you rather than what's important or what you feel other people think is important to you? So I would argue identity is sometimes differentiated by the group of people you surround yourself with. So you might have one identity in one place and a different identity in another place. And maybe it's only behind closed doors your true identity sits. I don't know. Maybe that's going in the deep end straight off. I'm not sure. I mean, I think what Sean was talking about, like, I think it's both. Um, and I'm trying to recall everything you just said, but I think um, like the self-worth when you get it externally from others is the ego getting satisfaction of being seen. And then the not ego or the self would be the internalized, I'm this person, or this is my self-worth based on like feeling a certain way about yourself without needing external validation for it. And I don't know if we're ever like out of either of those. I think one is just generally bigger or smaller than the other relative to where you're at in life, I guess. And should, and should, should they, that they maybe shouldn't completely, 
they should coexist because yeah, external, va- ex- ex- external validation and criticism, although not always right and dependent on the source, is, you know, a, a way that we learn navigate through life. Yeah. You know, being being guided by, hey, I did this thing. It seems to be wrong. And actually, I feel it's wrong. And actually, the feedback is wrong externally. Then that, you know, that will drive some inter- potentially some internal changes. And the same with if you do something right. If someone's like, hey, you did good things there. It's like we te- we're taught that at a very young age. You know, you walk your first steps. Everyone in the room claps. Like we learned that walking is good from multiple sources, not just your ability to advance from one space to the next from it functional point of view but from a you know other people are, are are informing you that you did good you advanced and that and that's purposeful so external criticism is something that we need to take and i think the fact that we are so eager to say you know oh i don't care what anyone thinks i think that's that's kind of ludicrous in the terms of you are then unable to learn or take criticism or critique um, other than what you deem internally to be the right thing, which means that you assume that you understand truth and justice and all of what's right morally. And the fact that you think you can harbor that within yourself, you might be able to, but the fact that you can think you can do that in isolation, and I think that's probably culturally and from a society point of view wrong. I don't know what I just said. If we... It kind of... Go ahead. Because if we take your analogy about being applauded for walking, so we carry on walking, <laughs> if you were told to stop walking every time you started doing it, it would it would starve that movement, wouldn't it? Because you would, okay, I won't, I won't walk, I'll just sit and I'll shuffle on my bum instead. And I think certainly in younger years, the extrinsic feeds or starves growth in one direction mm-hmm. or another, perhaps. And then as we get a bit older, it still does that, but we tend to have a bit more identity because of the years, we're using that word again, identity, because of the years that have passed. And as we get older, maybe we become better at selecting the extrinsic noises that we want to hear because it feeds what's going on intrinsically. Does that make sense? Yeah, but it's still choosing who, like where that feedback's coming from. So if you've got someone who's telling you cleans are banging it, banging, I'm using a CrossFit or a, a weightlifting thing now, but cleans are banging it off your quads then obviously you're getting the wrong feedback there and you end up with bruised quads and terrible clean um you know versus having the right influence but then equally then you only get that from being around a broad range of specialists and then create and probably looking at how other people externally evolve from it and seeing what other people and how they're evolving and therefore you start to learn who is the good coach who is the bad coach what is the right way what is the good way and that will be you know developed through critique criticism mirroring others and it's all external you know um however you know there is always that intrinsic element of you know understanding your own calling and your own moral purpose or existence which may which may which may be not helped by your external influences or your own behavior around people um so how yeah. how do you like as a as a person know which influence is going to be good for you and which one to listen to and which one to follow? I saw on Instagram it's the five people in the room. I think it's the five people you call the most. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I think it's all, it's like everything else. It's all experience. Um, even like Paul's analogy of the clean, like when you're doing that, you think it's right because you don't have any contrast and you don't know it's not right until you find a new coach or whatever the path is that you go on to figure out like, Oh, there's a different way that arguably is better to do this. And I think that's like the evolution of our self and our ego is that constant exploration of life and like dealing with feedback from others, how you internalize it, how you accept it, how you take it. Um, whether that's criticism or supportiveness or otherwise. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then we're training more and more now. I've kind of, <clears throat> I think Paul's seen this firsthand quite a bit. I oh, know actually maybe Sean as well. It's like where it's like, I just try and get the right people in the room now. And when I say that, I try and get the people who can to lead the way for those who can't. And if I can get everyone watching each other positively, they will pick it up way quicker than me explaining anything to them. Sure. Um, and I find that's been like, that's probably like the biggest coaching evolution for me in the last few years is actually, I say a lot less than just say like, you just go do a muscle up now, Hindley, you do a muscle up now, Ellie, you do one. It's like, Oh, there's a whole bunch of different looking people there and different genders and, um, different levels of their training and different ages. And people can pick that up from their brains, but it's, you know, obviously it's all externally influenced and obviously like I'm at a point where I can, I know who to put in the room and where to put them because I've been doing this for long enough. Um, but yeah, I think external influence is, is massively important, but you're guided through your own experiences. You can't always help who's around you. Um, no one can always as easy as it sounds. <clears throat> if you wake if you, if you, you know, you grow up in a rough neighborhood, you grow up in a rough neighborhood. If you grow up in a, whatever, it doesn't need to be a rough neighborhood. It just needs to be whatever the circumstance, the people around you survival looks different. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, and there is that um, nature-nurture argument that comes into it. Do you think as we get older, or, or not even older, if we have a clear vision, it's easier to develop our own identities and not necessarily pin them to one thing that we do? Yeah, because I mean, what getting older is synonymous with getting more experienced, hopefully. So, um, yeah, I think the more you go through it, the more you start to define like what you want in life. I'm struggling with the word identity right now. I don't mm -hmm. like it and I don't know why. Maybe we can figure that out. Uh, but I feel like identity is like this very specific, like I am this thing. Like, uh, <clears throat> I don't have a good analogy off the top of my head, but like, I feel like that should always be in flux or flowing. And it's never like I am this person per se. Like I do these things. I hang out with these people. This is what my day looks like, but I'm also not that. Does that go back to the, um, we've said it before, but the be a verb and not a noun analogy. Yeah, I think so. Cause I like, well, identity, is should be i think at least for me ever changing like maybe not drastically but and i hate like that i don't want to be who i was yesterday because i why do i hate myself so much yesterday that i don't want to be that person today like i get what it means um but i just like little tiny bits of evolution and i don't know what those things are all the time maybe it's like a one-off conversation with somebody at a gym and you're like, oh, like my outlook on that is now different based off of the way you explained it or your experience with it. Or like, uh, you know, maybe something more powerful, we'll call it like a nonprofit symposium where you got 
30 people in a room bawling their eyes out, sharing this like powerful experience that also, um, you know, kind of shapes the trajectory, I think, of somebody's identity or whatever we're calling identity. It's interesting, isn't it? Because as a coach, we're meant to be agents for change. I'm using the word coach. We're meant to be agents for change and belief that we can change and grow beyond where we are right now. <clears throat> but yet by doing that, we almost categorize people into where they are now, which is, you know, which is also another challenging thing because you're putting me in a box. And then, then I kind of was thinking about this actually a little bit today, randomly, but it was kind of like we become, we identify people with their past and their past mistakes or their past careers or their past jobs. And we begin to p- pigeonhole people into a point where they can't get beyond it. Right. And, um, and then it's like, but then at the same time, as a coach, we're meant to be the opposite to that. We're meant to be. And, and that, that does mean identifying where we are now. But then, yeah, so, you know, we are meant to be agents for change. And, and if we're doing things like mixed mode sports or we're trying to work with lifestyle people, actually, we're rarely trying them to get them to be one singular thing. Um, you know, I think the moment where everyone in the gym only cares about the gym and their life falls apart outside of it, um, then we've, we've failed them as people. We've decreased their care. We've decreased their capability. Sure. Yeah. We've increased, we've increased their deadlift, but decreased their capability, their capability <laughs> being to function outside of the gym better. And maybe, maybe we limit it by the questions we ask people. You know, instead of asking, um, who are you? Maybe it should be a question if we're talking about agents for change. Who is it you want to become? Where are we heading? Not where have you been? I, I appreciate where you have been in forms moving forwards, but maybe it's the questions we ask that are at fault because it then it hinges or it pins these ideals or thoughts to the word. So like Keegan, you were saying, you don't like the word identity. Well, why is that? Because it forms this particular thing that you've been told in the past. Maybe we just need to change that look instead. Yeah. Like, I mean, boxes are somewhat useful, right? Like we're too connected to too many people and around too much to not at least like, I think our brains just naturally kind of do that. Um, and having like the understanding that that's happening while asking the question of, you know, maybe what have you done? Who were you? But also following up with like, who do you want to be? Who do you want to become? So you can then parallel like, this is their history. This is their habits. These are the things they've done. How do I bridge the gap as a coach or an agent of change from that to what they're saying they want to become while also understanding they might not know what it means to say, I want to become this thing. Like, I know I don't all the time. And, you know, having people to help bridge that gap or walk that bridge with me is always helpful. I think, I think, we, I think as well, when we're looking at people and we're, and we're putting them in boxes, it's that simply we see everything in the world at a low resolution until we need to see it at a higher resolution. Otherwise, we couldn't cope with all of the data in our brains and how to deal with it. And it's only when we start to work and build relationships that that person becomes sort of more three-dimensional three in their existence to us. And then maybe we can do more where, and then maybe our initial, even if they may not be wrong to us because of our interpretation of English language or language, 
the words that we use mean something to us because of our data and feedback in the past where them words might mean something like identity might mean one thing to you, might mean something different to me. People involved in identity politics, that word would mean something completely different in our discussion. And therefore, one single word, and this is the issue I have a lot with the, the fitness industry at the moment is it seems to just be a war on words. Like, mm. what word can someone say? Then can someone else tear that apart and not say anything? You know what I mean? It's like, you know, failing is failing is just learning. And then someone, the next person is like, well, it's not learning, it's failing. You've got to be able to deal with it. And I'm like, yeah, it's, here we go down the rabbit hole again with a bunch of, you know, um, what is it? <laughs> what is it? Um, going too deep on some shallow shit. Yeah. Do, do you know, it's really funny. So my last thing on my notes there is thinking deeply about shallow shit. And I think it, <laughs> it, it, is, it is a real problem. And I think it's, it's about words. It's about reps. It's about exercises. It's about, you know, kind of what's right, what's wrong. People spend too much time on that. Like dissecting the stuff that isn't important. Yeah, we live on spectrums, don't we? A continual flux, as you've already said, Keegan. And I think if we're relating this to fitness, to become pigeonholed in one particular way, I'm the kettlebell person, it's always kettlebells, then you're missing out a whole other vista of things. And maybe that's the inexperience showing it's when you've experienced all the different things you can throw everything together and have a much brighter picture as opposed to a single color can i just throw in that the just to play devil's advocate the person who's doing just kettlebells he's probably doing he or she let's just say um or whatever their pronouns are um are doing just fine just doing kettlebells what I mean is the dogmatic approach that everybody must do this one thing that I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I, and equally, I don't think that the kettlebell guy should not do kettlebells or maybe should do. No, I don't even necessarily think specialists. I mean, geez, like Louis Simmons had to go down the rabbit hole with that powerlifting stuff. Right. Like it had to consume him. There was no point. It was like, Hey dude, have you ever tried doing, you know, shuttle runs and burpee box overs? Um, you know, that wasn't his, that wasn't his mission and people had to bleed and get nosebleeds and puke their guts up deadlifting and they had to do it to see what we were capable of and all of the strength systems, all of the stuff we had wouldn't be, you know, out there with, and at most sports and most people, discoverers of things, like they had to go way down the rabbit hole that gives us a general overview now that we feed back and say, well, we should do everything. And it's like, yeah, but it's great, but we, can't we wouldn't have done all of these things and pieced these pieces together without these people going way too far down the rabbit hole so the kettlebell guy needs to keep doing kettlebells but also he and i guess his belief system needs to believe that that's the only thing to do because if he didn't then it would have been a waste um so he needs to believe that but it's also understanding that everyone has their own purpose and capability i mean that's just fitness people in general right stop telling people that you need the everyone yes everyone should be fit and healthy but like i ain't going to tell the guy who's trying to invent some new technology or the guy who's trying to create a cure for something i'm not going to be like hey dude like you know have you thought about training three or four hours a day <laughs> yeah and i think like that as a you should quit you should quit your job we don't need a cure for cancer quit your job quit yeah, your yeah, job yeah. you could become a coach make your bench press better. <laughs> yeah 
Well, I think it also is like what, whatever your lens is as a coach for what you want to do with the people that come into your circle. So if kettlebells like have changed your life, like I was high on the kettlebell bandwagon in like early 2000s. I went to a certification with my dad and I was like, this is the greatest shit ever. And for that period of time, for me, it was, um, and I wasn't a coach or anything at that by any means, but like if that guy or girl or whatever is like, I found this thing and I think it could help a bunch of people. And it does like fucking rad. Um, and just like, and I, I'll speak for Paul a little bit warrior. Um, I think our lens is more of like, you know, creating capable people without, you know, a very specific brand or way of training other than like talking and communicating and using the skill sets we've learned through all yeah. different modalities to make people capable for how we see it. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, I learned a ton from Louis Simmons and still do, but at the same time, like I wouldn't call the people that went to Westside terribly capable of life other than what they did in that gym and on a platform. And that's not knocking them. That was their thing. That's what they did. But if, you know, if you develop sleep apnea because you're 120 pounds overweight, you can't bend over to tie your shoes and walking upstairs seems like a fucking nightmare. Like I've been there before and that's not something that I want to have other people experience with me. If they want to go be a powerlifter, there's plenty of powerlifting coaches out there. Um, and don't get me wrong. I still coach a few powerlifters, but it's not, you know, it's, it's just different for me in that regard. Like I don't want this one gym where it's like my identity's wrapped up in being this one thing. Like I've been a part of that a lot. It's just not where I'm at either personally or as a coach right now. But in the same way yeah. as being strong, going back to Louis Simmons, like being strong, doing all those things to test those boundaries. When I talk, yeah, when I'm talking in terms of being, <laughs> dare I say the functional word, um, being able to do things like bending down, tie your lace, going up the stairs without getting out of breath. Is that not also a different way of thinking about being fit in the same way that Louis Simmons thought about it? So I think Louis Simmons, it was all about specificity. There was this one particular goal to bench, deadlift, and, and squat as heavy as possible. And that was that was where he went. So if you take medicine instead, if you're a neuroscientist, you're no good to go and speak to if you've got a urology problem because they don't know anything about that anymore. They are so focused on one point. And I think that's fine if you are going to be the tip of the spear. That's where you're heading to. And you want the specificity and then obviously crack on. It's when the high level of specificity becomes dogmatic in pervading that everybody needs this. You need to be able to squat a thousand pounds to be good at life. I get, I, I totally get that. But my, I suppose my comment is, the specificity has become being able to just get through the day without issue. Yes, I know what you're saying. Yeah. You're talking about general PP, you know, GPP, general uh, physical preparedness is what. Yeah. The majority of people would like in the gym, perhaps. I mean, it's for sure my bias to think that like doing it that way is healthier for people or better for people than you know, 
trying to spend years performing on a platform, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think each to their own. I don't each their own, isn't it? It's like calling, isn't it? It's it's the general people that we work with who have general goals, and then the best thing we can do is promote a, a functionally capable lifestyle that gears towards health, but has a level of general fitness and then if they want to specialize then we encourage and support that because that's their calling and then we go without certain clients i've worked with who are incredibly specialist and don't necessarily need to function in day and day day in and day out life in exactly the same way and um, i mean for me personally as a programmer because that's all i see myself as i i, I like the problem yeah i, I, I like I, I, I like the problem i almost as long as i believe in the person's goal and the person's vision I almost aren't really, I don't even want to predict what their goal is because that means there's an assumption. I think that we spent a long time in the past trying to convince people, hey, you need to be stronger. You need to be this, you need to be that without ever stopping and going, do they? And, Mm -hmm. you know, before you know it, you've turned like someone who's into one specific sport and you've tried to make them this uber generalist and they're actually no good at their sport anymore. It's like, oh, okay. We, We convinced them that being in this class environment was going to be great for them for everything and it isn't. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of, I mean, I'm quite fluid. I don't want to tell people what their goals are. I may inform them of the consequence of their goal. And if the consequence is too great, then I may not be, may want to invest my time or expertise in trying to head them towards something that I will not think will reap a reward in the way that they, they see it. And that's our job to prepare and to guide because um, there is a consequence. Everything we do, there is a consequence. Does that mean that you have been able to separate your ego as a coach for, for the want of the, or for the beneficence of the individual that you're coaching? I, I don't think my, my, my ego, if, if I want to use that word, which I don't, you know, I don't necessarily like, um, I, think my, I think my ego or my belief is that in my, in my own ability is that I can take, I can see, I can see a strategy in, and I can, I can align vision with strategy in a way that I think I can help people towards a certain direction. And I think often sometimes if that direction is more, has a speciality or, or a general generality or a, some sort of goal focus, I think that gives me something more interesting and more challenging to work with. Yeah, what I mean is you're not so fixed in your thought process that you are fluid enough to go, actually, if we're aiming for this, what I normally do isn't necessarily going to work, so we'll change things. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to. But I'm not changing things. I am changing what's written down, and I'm not changing my philosophy with it. Um, the philosophy remains, but it's it, it does become unique, and it, you know, I... I <clears throat> I, I hope at some point in my career that I start programming for people things in their lives that aren't to do with fitness. I kind of just interested to see the challenge in that. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if like, um, like if powerlifting is your thing and you don't like divert from that in any way, like that's not ego. And I'm not, I don't think you're saying that, but like if you find your niche and that's what you love doing and that's your way of, you know, presumably helping the world. If that's what we think we're doing when we're coaching with, you know, serving other people, then like rock and roll. I think the issue for me is when people have a specialty and then people come to them 
that want to do something slightly off of that. And they just go like, Oh, I'll figure it out or do yeah. it the way I'm doing it. And you'll get to where you want to go, even though, you know, this isn't the thing to get you there. That's, that's where I feel like the ego or insecurity gets wrapped up in like, I, like, I know it doesn't sound insecure to be like, I can do everything, but I think it is insecure to say I can do everything because you're limiting or you're not limiting like your perspective and you don't understand where you're at as far as your profession goes. So you just try to do everything because you don't like the feedback of being like, oh, that's not my path or that's not my road. And I, I think it's insecurity when their coach kind of convinces people to do their methodology, even if it doesn't align with the client's goal. Right. Yeah. Because that's, that, that's yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's trying to convince them that your your lens is the right lens, and and that and that's not always right. That's and and I think that's probably down to like then a personal belief as a coach is that they've convinced themselves or talked them into like like say Louis Simmons and the general thesis of we're trying to make the strongest people in the world, which I think is amazing. But then turning around and going like everyone needs to be the strongest people in the world. It's like, oh, right. no, 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 everyone doesn't need to be. And some people, and you know, and, and, and then if someone comes in and says, I don't care about that. Wow. That really challenges your belief system. You know? Yeah, I think it, it's important, I think, to note like that the Louis Simmons of the world, those, you know, the tip of the spear in each modality that people have, like that's insanely important. Like, I think it's important to see coaches that, go down that road and try to figure out everything they possibly can about getting strong. And then also seeing, you know, the people reaping the benefits of doing that for the things they want to do for their journey. Oh, I mean, we're literally in the middle of a conjugate phase. That's why it's like on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. <laughs> we've got bands, we've got bands around everything. We've just got bands around the door just to make opening the door harder now, you, you know, you gotta do it. accommodating resistance, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you don't want the easy bit of the door to be easy anymore we need to ramp up that that resistance so yeah everything's banded down now there was an interesting, even the coffee cups an interesting thought that came to mind there as ego was mentioned in terms of okay I know this thing you want this but you're going to do it my way is that ego or is that just incompetence which is a different thing I think it's belief, and I don't think I don't. Th I think they can, you can be. I think they can be absent. I think if you believe it's that's the only way you know, and you have a belief structure in place, I don't necessarily think that's ego. That's just that's just lack of a wider knowledge. Incompetence. Um, yeah. But <laughs> but if you know, don't, it might it might be a pretty good strength coach though. So you might not be incompetent. You just may not have. Seen those, you may not have seen the the wider world. Therefore, you've just well, experienced like ignorance is bliss. You don't know what you don't know. You know, I've done it. I've taken on clients in the past that wanted to go down a road I was unsure of. I think we all did that at first to a degree, like because you just don't know. Same thing with like growing up. Like in your twenties, you don't know the shit you know in your thirties. And I'm assuming when I get to my forties, I won't know what I knew in my thirties. Mistakes need to happen, and you have to kind of go get it to a degree to make those mistakes to figure out kind of your lane. And I think it's when you don't learn from those mistakes because, you know, the 22 year old strength coach that just got out of high school and did a two year degree and has their certified personal training, which is a thing you can do over here. I don't know how much you guys are like you get out of that and you probably think, you know, fucking everything. Yeah. And you don't know, you don't know everything until you realize you don't know everything. And I think it takes experience <clears throat> to learn that too. And it's the, the person that doesn't learn from doing that 
that I think is kind of what we're talking about. Yeah. But then there's a lot of people, clients, general public, who aren't aware of that, that you don't know everything. And they're just going to believe everything you say and sign up for whatever you're selling. And that, and I think it, if they've got a general, I think if they've got a general goal and the gym owners or the coaches, however it is, I'm certainly not bad mapping anyone. And they're more or less capable of teaching people to move generally. And they're moving with a level of intensity. They're probably in a way better position than they were before. Like, okay. <laughs> like way better position. Um, so I think, you know, I think, I don't know, I guess the more good people can lead by example and we can mirror mirror each other as a collective group rather than close roller shutter door gyms. I think that, you know, eventually like, eventually the tide continues to rise and there will always be people who are as competent or incompetent, but that's the same in any profession. And, you know, I don't, I don't think we need to oversell ourselves. I mean, Jesus, I'm just some guy who's like spent a dysfunctional amount of time trying to learn to program, which is don't even think it's a real career and try and <laughs> like blow his life in a gym and, um, and, you know, and, and dysfunctional in its own right. And, you know, we just work in gyms. We just teach people to do stuff. And I think getting people moving, getting people understanding, learning, experiencing. And I think there's a lot of people who will never have the confidence to leave the gym walls that they're in. And they'll believe that their coach is the greatest coach on earth. And I think if that belief gets them to lose a stone or two and gets them to move a bit better and stay away from diabetes and to just all around function better on their daily, in their daily lives, then we've, you know, that, that in its own way is a success. Yeah. And everything has levels to it, right? Like I like to use the analogy of coffee. I've been drinking coffee my whole fucking life. I grew up on instant coffee, like heat up water in the microwave, take out a spoon, dump it in. And from the age of like 14 to going to college, I thought that was coffee. And then I found drip coffee and French press and Chemex and pour overs and all this other shit. It was just like, that was my evolution of becoming a coffee snob um, for lack of a better way to put it. But also like, if you like to go to fucking Starbucks at 8am and get your latte and that's your thing, like, okay, you don't need to drink the coffee I drink. Um, can we just talk about heating up water in the microwave? What's that? Sure. What, what? That's not a that's not a thing, surely. Who who did that? Keegan. You just oh, well, said, I mean I did it for about six years of my childhood or did you whatever, not have eight years? Did you not have a hot water or a kettle? That was how my parents did it, so that's just what I did. <laughs> I don't you think I had mic- a kettle until I turned like thirty and found uh pour over coffee. You had a microwave but no kettle. I live in the U.S., man. We don't just walk around having kettles on our stove all the time. (laughs) (laughs) It takes a minute to heat up like five minutes for a kettle to turn on. That's fine. We're all about immediate satisfaction over here, dude. That sums it up. That's, yeah, that's efficient. Well, actually, if he's right, (laughs) and we're just entrenched in our ways of using a kettle. There's less life scale. I would, I would use the kettle now for what that's worth. You guys are just more advanced than I am. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're really coffee, if you're a real coffee snob, you'll have the kettle just to make it quicker. Then you'll pour it into the fancy looking ribbed kettle, and then into your Chemex, and, <laughs> yeah. and you'll have videoed the whole thing and turned it into a reel. 
Well, I mean, and if it's not on Instagram, then it doesn't taste good. Exactly. No. Yeah. It's like no. You, you can't get abs if you don't post your workout. Yeah. Oh, that's where I've been going wrong. <laughs> and the gyms are the downlighters. The downlighters. Yeah. That's it. Downlighters. I want to start. I want to start a gym with uplighting. See how that goes. All the lights are on the floor. <laughs> yeah, pe- people can never skip calf day. I think. I think. I think looking good is coming in fashion. Too right, it is. I mean, I saw your abs today, Paul, online. I, I, if anything, I was devastated. Absolutely devastated. I, actually, I've only, I've only ate one and a half digestives tonight because of that. That's downlighting uh, for you in the garage. Yeah. Brilliant, so I, brilliant. I seen that and I had my Sharpie out painting lines <laughs> on myself. <laughs> Do you know what? It's a really nice, e- it's a nice ego boost. It's a reminder that actually this is, it's worth the effort of getting up early and putting myself in discomfort. So what you're saying is at the end of the day, you didn't care about whether you're out of breath or the flight is there. You cared about that ring support hall looking shredded. <laughs> No, no. I remember having a conversation with you saying, do you know what, since I've been doing these certain exercises, it doesn't hurt my knees to run up the stairs anymore. Yeah, I know. Yes. I know. Um, and it's a nice consequence of being healthy. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, fuck it. Like, if you've worked hard and you want to, like, people to appreciate that or you want to show it off, like, fucking rock and roll. I mean, I just happened to be hot at the time, so I took my t off. <laughs> yeah yeah and, uh, <laughs> and set the camera up on the tripod <laughs> just leans up against the water bottle <laughs> all right all right we Naturally. gotta get you a tripod in one of those uh <laughs> we're gonna turn you into an influencer man uh, never gonna happen he already is no uh, yeah but then but, and, sorry just to like throw in that word influencer which is actually like in negative term these days, but someone who like encourages other people to do something positive or that's going to better their lives, they're an influencer, aren't they? They've influenced someone to do something better. I, do something I mean, I mean it depends them. what you're influencing to be influencing to do. I mean, Charles I'm Manson was yeah. pretty good at influencing. <laughs> in a positive in a positive sense. So well, I was trying to... to be I was trying to be kind to Paul there because I know Paul has influenced other people in their journey to yeah. be fitter and agree yeah i think when we tease about the word influencer we mean the specific role or job that has been created based on social media where like it is your job to be that as opposed to influencing or influencing or inspiring others through your actions not that instagram influencers aren't doing things for action but everything like it, it feels like a movie, like it's reality TV. Like you're, you're doing a thing at some point to make the money, to show people a thing when it's not always actually the thing that you're doing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Like if you're changing, I mean, I kind of worked with quite a few athletes in the past and I always find it really challenging when they started advertising supplements that I knew they didn't use. And that was okay. like, for me, that, for me, that was the start of when I kind of probably became a bit vocal about, influencing because it's like i'm watching loads of younger people or loads of uh, let's say not younger but people who aren't yet, yet mature in the sport or mature in kind of a training philosophy and all of they're seeing is this one person that they, they they look at that they like and you can tell that 
even if you told them the truth that they weren't using it, um, they would still go out and buy it because they just don't believe you that they're not using it. Yep. Uh, and, when I was in, go ahead. Sorry. No, go. Uh, when I was in Salt Lake City, um, there was a gym that we'd go to occasionally, and there was a couple of girls there. They all had over a million followers. And it was so fascinating just to like watch them, which sounds fucking creepy. That's not what we were doing. But just to like see what they did in the gym and then parallel it to what they posted. And it would be like, you know, four sets of 20 banded booty kicks or whatever the fuck you want to call them. But then like you were there when they videoed it and you're like, you did three and you took a video and you looked at it and you went perfect. And then you moved on. And then you were there for two hours doing that same thing. And then all of a sudden your Instagram feeds this long workout that you actually didn't do, but you're wearing Gymshark and everybody reposts it. I think that's my, like when I say influencer, I think of that when it's like, you're, you're like creating a reality that doesn't exist to then have people buy or do or say, or be the things that you are where like all is motivating or inspiring people just through his hard work with no thought. You can tell me if I'm wrong into like what way you post something so that you can get other people to like follow you. You're just, you find a shot or something and you're like, Oh, that's it. I want to post that. This goes with the words I want to say or whatever your thought process is. And obviously I'm putting words (laughs) in your mouth, but I'll tell you, if you're like, uh, there's part of it's like, right. How can I demonstrate the work that on the program does in a in a good way, and I'm conscious of that because I, I believe in the programming that goes on. Um, I think when I write things, I try and find a suitable picture that goes with it. Sure. In terms of, do I look at my daily followership? No, not at all. Um, it's nice, I suppose. It's, it's nice. It's, it's, this goes back to that ego thing. It's nice that people look at it. But actually, my self-worth is not intertwined with how many followers or likes. Right. If if you deleted your Instagram right now, you'd still be making money and have a job. Yes. I would be influencing as a healthcare professional. Right. Yeah. Some people can't say that. Um, Yeah. And I think actually my biggest role is if we're saying influencer in a positive way is being a parent. Sure. Um. But I don't Instagram that. Well, then you're not an influencer. Oh, fuck it. <laughs> I would walk around with a ring light saying, Toby, come on, do this, do that. Yeah, but then... Catch yeah. this ball. No, 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 catch it. Yeah, people do. And c- coming back to um, what, what Keegan was saying there, in terms of in the gym, doing the three reps to get the perfect shot, I'm, as- I'm assuming, I don't know the people you're talking about, but going back to the previous gym that I've been in and there was one particular person who had well, a few hundred thousand followers um, who posted similar things which, which looked fine online like whatever but they couldn't really walk very well and they looked strange as people <laughs> moving through the world but they're obviously not unfit or unhealthy because they look decent they might only be doing like one rep or two reps to get the perfect shot but they, they obviously i imagine they do work out like off camera 
as well because you can't you, you don't look like that just going into a gym and doing two reps sure yeah i know what you're saying and i can't speak to these people specifically i mean i saw what i saw but i also didn't follow them around every single day um but nobody looked overly capable of much like they were a smidge more fit than your average person. And, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It was just like, for what you're saying you do, like just the math to me didn't make sense, but not many people see that. Like I just happen to be at that gym and pay attention to it. And I think other people just see like, Oh, your butt looks good in those pants. I want to buy those pants anyways. <laughs> yeah. I suppose the, the question is if nobody was watching, would you do it? Hmm. That is a good question. And I think a lot of people, influencers, <clears throat> the answer would be no. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are just trying to be, um, create business through social, through media, social media content, which I understand. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily buy into it. I don't really like the breakdown of all of the, <clears throat> the fitness information that people just try to elongate stuff and bring, make videos for every different exercise they could ever think of. Um, but that doesn't appeal to me, but maybe because maybe because I'm just not searching for that type of thing. <clears throat> Influence-wise, I think I find it challenging when people don't necessarily use the products. But then there is the point of like, well, if they're encouraging other people to do help, make healthy decisions, then that's, that's hopefully a good thing, as long as we understand that they're actually healthy. Um, you know, because everyone thought asbestos was fun once. Um, <clears throat> and then... I don't know. I think we just need to navigate navigate these waters of what we're encouraging other people to do and take social responsibility for our actions. And people probably won't and don't. But if you're influencing a million people to take a certain product or to live a certain lifestyle, you've got to understand there is a there is a consequence that may not fall directly onto your shoulders. That you may not feel like you take that burden, but there is a consequence to what you're encouraging. And I really hope. And it makes me think that I hope I'm not encouraging too many people. Can I, can I take that asbestos example? <laughs> um, so asbestos at one point was the only way that people knew how to keep people dry. That's why they used, yeah. So using asbestos, it was a way of bonding together parts of a building to keep it right. dry and to keep it together that's where i came from and paul's rubbing his beard because he's got i'm an architect i know these things um but historically i, I actually don't know why because my, i never really <laughs> looked up asbestos i just knew that when we had to take out our buildings it was bad yeah and, so and my, my old my, my old boss had asbestosis as well yeah. so <laughs> the, the reason why is because it was one of the early ways that they knew to waterproof roofs in particular, with um, in a very sort of cheap way. Yeah. My point here is that that worked then, but it wasn't the best way, and they no. found better ways of doing things over time. Ways that kill ways that didn't kill people. Ways that yeah. didn't kill people. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that was my point. And not appreciating the consequences of those actions. I mean, we just had no, I guess, I guess we didn't have the way of, of testing it, you know, right now I'm pretty certain in like, well, I'm so sure, pretty sure in like 50 years, there'll be some, um, 
social experiments and some feedback that tell us whether what we're doing is is actually good or bad and you know um there was a big debate there was a big debate in the gym yesterday because that's all we ever do in our gym apparently when between classes and that is that hinley feels that our generation or my generation which didn't have social media and now has social media he thinks he sees a bigger struggle with our generation than his who grew up with it and he feels like he he feels like he uses it in a different way that doesn't for him personally doesn't create anxiety. He finds it as, he finds it as an information tool. Do, do you think that's because he doesn't have the contrast of never having it? And that's what he thinks. Well, that's what he thinks. I mean, it was just a general debate. I don't actually understand. I don't actually know. It just came up as a topic yesterday, and he was like, "The people around me don't really get stressed out about social media and don't respond and aren't going a little bit crazy about it." And like having this big formal thing because they just understand that that's like people just posting their highlights and that's fine. Which is interesting because I would argue it's the people in their 20s that are the ones saying I get anxiety from social media, not people in their 40s. Is that social media or is it just the absence of understanding that anxiety has utility? Yeah. Pass. Do you know what I mean? I mean, we're kind of much more kind of in this epoch of being more aware of these things and our scenarios and our living con- conditions. And, you know, the the opportunities are greater. Therefore, the choices are greater. Therefore, our anxiety is up. Plus, like, you know, a whole bunch of us are higher in neuroticism. So it's like, well, okay, cool. There's all these little bits of our our lives, our our characteristics, our personality types, which are which have which are useful, but we struggle with. And you know, yeah, there is certain things we're losing connection with people and <clears throat> medications and depression and all these things that are happening, which are which are true and honest. But I do think that we're just very much more aware of anxiety and depression. Yes, it has mm. a label. It has an understanding of what it is. People are more <clears throat> open about it, and yeah the stiff upper lip and stoicism that would be seen or oh, no you can't talk about that we've been taught no. to be more open so it's going to be more out there just as other illnesses are much we're much more aware of those things now because we have a greater awareness is yeah. is it not just about the the access to information though you you have yeah. access to that information and when, when i was growing up in the in the 1980s we didn't have access to information like you, yeah, the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah, like which was updated maybe annually if you were lucky, rather than daily. And CFAX for those people living in the <laughs> yeah. UK. Yeah, so I, I found out about the um, the football scores, the soccer scores for our American yeah, listeners. I get it. Um, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> um, by buying a newspaper from the local garage, from the local um, gas station for our American listeners. Um, <laughs> you only say that when I'm on. Yeah, yeah, generally, yeah. Um, in, I think it's just that the information about stuff is out there. Like, forgive the word, forgive the use of the word stuff, but it is like it's it's everything, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. People now have <clears throat> access to information about everything, which didn't previously exist. You know, and that low resolution, the, the, the low resolution existence of the world, which didn't overwhelm you, isn't low resolution anymore because everything that you think every, every option is it where options were narrowed, they're not now. There is obviously more awareness and of, of everything else that's going on and, and what potentials there is. Also, geez, it's like 
there are so many more issues and things going on in the world, even just at schools and at puberty levels and at, with everything that's going on. Jeez, when like, I would have a stress out if they asked me what career I wanted when I was an adult, <laughs> let, let alone everything else. I coasted through all of the things that I needed to do just because there was no other options and I couldn't be what I wanted to be because my eyesight wasn't good enough. So I couldn't be a pilot. So that took out the one thing I wanted to do in my life at the time and didn't have the drive to try and see if I could get around that. Um, and so my, my, my options were still pretty limited and that created anxiety and stress for me. And now everyone's options are so much more elevated and there's so much other stuff going on in the world and we get to see so much more and we get to see peril and stress and we're more exposed to all of the problems mm. and other people's. And it, it's not surprising. Plus, like I said, with neuroticism and anxiety that, you know, we're becoming more aware of personality traits and, and navigating them. It's just that it's not surprised that younger people are, but I feel like a lot of us would have, if we knew if we were in the same epoch, if we we're in the same epoch and we were younger and we were going through it, we would probably be in the same, in a same or similar boat. Um, if we weren't already. Yeah. And I think it's, you can't be stressed about something if you don't know it exists. If, sure. if, if it's not aware to you, if, if, if it's not in your awareness, how can you be worried or stressed about it? Let's go back to the whole ignorance is bliss thing. Like even the mm. asbestos, like all that. I mean, cigarettes, mercury, you could go down the list of things that we've put in our bodies or played with as kids or our parents played with as kids that are insanely toxic and not good for us to do. And who knows? And, you know, when we're in our 50s, 60s and 70s, what comes out about things we're using or doing now and how it affected people, but it's all hindsight. Yeah. And, and I, maybe as bad as I think social media might be like, we're also doing this because of it. So yeah. there's obviously good to it too, that I don't, I know we're not just bashing it. I just want to throw it out there that like, it is also, I think it's a positive thing as well. Um, I was going to ask Paul a question and then he ran away. Yeah, he's gone. He's had enough. Um, I think as well, I, th I think the reason, going back to what Paul was saying about Hindley, who's 22, I'm, I'm going to say 22, 23. So he's early 20s. Um, maybe because he has access to all of the information that we never had access to, maybe that helps. Maybe that helps to be able to say, oh, that's, we've, we've got access to all these things. I can ignore that. And you're not overwhelmed by it all because you're used to it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I just mean, postulating. I don't know. Well, that's where like growing up without it, like we have contrast and parody for like what it is compared to what it was, where it just what it is for him. Yeah. So maybe growing up, especially as a kid, like you just learn to navigate that world better. But also like for what we did as kids compared, and I don't know him at all. And I'm not saying he didn't do these things, but like, all the shit I did outside as a kid, I don't see kids doing anymore. And I don't know if that's good or bad. I have no idea. Like I know what I saw with people my age when I was in the military and then the people coming in when I was getting out and you're like, we look like different humans now. Um, obviously I'm a large person. Not a lot of people were born six, four to whatever the fuck I am right now, two fifty. Um, not as large as he used to be. No, not as large trying to get smaller. <laughs> um, so I don't like, I mean, the world's evolving, people are changing. And I think social media and our direct access to literally fucking everything is driving that. 
good or bad, I don't mm. fucking know. Yeah. My old curmudgeon ass would say bad, but I'm also probably not the oldest person on here, so that's fine. Yeah. One of the biggest challenges is actually sifting through what would be deemed quality information mm. as opposed to poor quality information because there is so much out there um, especially if you're looking at exercise or diet and nutrition you know it's being able to understand that's the quality content the quality information that I need to take on board whereas a lot of this is just noise and bullshit and it's being able to sift through that and it comes back to your example of the banded buck glute Finches, whatever you know doing two of those you know you're actually, doing them tomorrow don't lie yeah, i mean actually the, the reality is they're following a west side strength cycle and uh doing dead because it's a band <laughs> yeah, exactly but that's why they've got their, their perfect booties it's not the bands paul do you think depression and anxiety is bad Then gets a clue. <clears throat> say say that again. <clears throat> I said I think it's a clue. Yeah. I I don't I don't know really. Um, I'm quite. I'm just started reading a book, so I was a little bit influenced by that. But it's the Lost Connection one, um, which has been really good so far. And it was discussing how, you know, the links to like <clears throat> chemical kind of brain related depression is actually they don't quite know a lot about that and they can't actually really test for that. At least they don't in the UK and they base it off a set of yes, no questions, um, of which a lot of them can actually be associated with grief. So I think there's a lot of clues about trauma. I don't, I don't think depression is a good thing. Don't give, I'm not saying that I'm saying there's a lot of issue. There's a lot of things around trauma. Um, there's a lot of things around grief. And I think it's a pretty, I think it's a clue into something's not right. And I think maybe we've medicated it too quickly rather than trying to get to the results of the problem. Sure. Um, again, anxiety, I don't necessarily think it's good. I've tried to, I've tried maybe tried to gaslight myself into believing that when I'm anxious, it's either a bit of a warning sign about something or something that I don't quite understand and that I can't mentally or linguistically get my head around but something that doesn't feel right and um i often try to use it as i I try to think about it like okay if you were in a tribe the people with anxiety would be the people who would tell you not to go to the edge of the cliff um and so then i try to kind of think about okay well where is the utility in me being anxious about something and should i be anxious about it and yeah, try and work from there. So I, you know, I try, I mean, I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna quit. I ain't gonna lose my anxiety all of a sudden, but I, I ain't, and maybe I don't have it as crippling as other people. So I don't want to say my, my version of it versus their version of it. All I want to say is that in order for me to be able to hear the story that I need, it has been that anxiety is utility and it comes alongside having vision, which is if you can see the road ahead, you can also see the potential perils ahead too and navigating them. Um, yeah, I think it, I think it gives you good warning signs and that doesn't mean you always don't follow them. It doesn't mean you always listen to them and you should. Oh, sure. <clears throat> but then, um, you know, um, 
but I, I think it I think it runs in parallel with vision. And I think as coaches, as programmers, I think you and as people, you either have to have a logical thought process like an engineer in order to create an output, or you need to have a really good vision. And I don't think you can have vision without having you can't just you can always walk towards the light, but you always are aware that there is the darkness and yeah. the peril alongside that. So yeah, I don't know. Do I think anxiety is a bad thing? I think I think in our society it's a useful thing. However, I do not want to devalue people who suffer it from a crippling in a crippling sure. perspective and can only see that. So people who are highly attuned to negative emotions and and fear as a result of them and, and it cr- creates a crippling experience for their lives, then no, I'm I'm not saying it's cool. <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess like you could go down the good and bad doesn't exist. Um, but like to me, I feel like I'm always going to be anxious. I'm always going to have a bout of depression. You know, I've never been bedridden. I've never been hospitalized. Like it's just a part of me that exists. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is making sure like anxiety when I can, you know, when I have a vision and I want to go towards it, but then I'm like cluttered by all of the things of like the what ifs and the things that can go wrong and, you know, heading towards the light. And then all of a sudden it's just darkness understanding like I need to keep moving through that and figure out strategies and ways to deal with that, to keep moving. Cause I do think it's useful um, for me in my experience and to the level that I have it. And I think it's when I found out I had anxiety, like from a clinical perspective, I started to like figure out every way to get rid of it. Instead yeah. of learning to like use it as a tool and manage it. And now I'm more <clears throat> like the learning to use it as a tool and manage it as opposed yeah. to like, I don't want to be a person with anxiety. I mean, and that's yeah. maybe that's ego and identity too. And instead just be like, Oh cool. This is something. And I liked your analogy. Like don't go near that cliff. Cause you know, that problem anxiety probably was a useful tool back when, <clears throat> you know, you had to survive and like, Hey, somebody was killed in that water by a crocodile. Don't go near that water again kind of thing. yeah yeah it's or like you're walking through the, you're walking through the water and you're like i feel on edge like and you're yeah. like well why do i feel on edge oh, well because i'm aware that there's I, i'm aware that danger lurks beneath and right. that's okay that's yeah, sensible there's, yeah there's an unknown <laughs> component that's fearful and i should pay attention <laughs> to that but also we have to walk through this water yeah and we yeah. talked and a i mean bit. one of my clients rang me up sorry sorry paul uh, you, you go no, one of my clients rang me up the other, the other week and uh, they were they were saying that they were struggling with some they were struggling with some anxiety or a bad feeling at the moment and I said well do you know what it is well like no and I said well this goes two ways then either it's just a feeling and you're wrong it's just a bit of a bad time so just keep walking towards the light secondly keep walking and something may raise, something may come out of the water like there might be something lurking beneath but you still need to walk forward and what we do know is through training um, through discussion, you, the version of you who is walking towards it is much more capable of dealing with it than who you were before. You know, you've been upskilled in lots of different ways. So it's like, okay, you're about to walk. The danger is real. You are about to walk towards it, but you don't know what it is, but we'll deal with it when we get there. That, that was kind of like, and that was enough to, kind of calm the situation and for them to proceed on with the day and you know it turns out i don't think any i don't think there was any peril lurking 
but right. it it stopped them from being it stopped them from you know from stopping you know yeah and there's what whatever the quote is the you know nothing's as bad in reality as it is in your head yeah. like i think most of the time that's true like we create <clears throat> at least i do problem after problem after problem in my head time and time again and then you go to the meeting or you go do the thing or whatever and you're like oh that wasn't you have a doctor and you're like oh that wasn't nearly as bad as i expected it to be yeah yeah and and when it is often you find you can deal with it yeah yeah because you, know, you have no choice so yeah yeah but going back to what we said before in terms of we talked about how it just they're just different words for things we talked about how you can just pin a different word on the same thing i'm not saying anxiety is something that's been invented but a lot of what you talked about could be put down to worry or concern i'm worried about this thing or i'm concerned about this thing rather than i have anxiety that might just be semantics it might just be the same thing sure but historic but historically it wouldn't be pinned on anxiety it would be saying i have a worry about this thing yeah Mum would have said, Mum would have said, I'm worried sick. Yeah. Which is, which is, I guess is like what, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I don't want, again, I don't want to play with language I don't understand, but I guess worried sick is the example of saying my worry and my fears are manifesting themselves as a physical problem. And therefore I think that would probably relate more to anxiety, which is if you've had anxiety, and I guess like in terms of like maybe Keegan saying there clinically, it doesn't manifest manifest itself as a bit of head worry. It manifests itself as weight loss, sleeplessness, like paralyzing, paralyzing. Yeah. And, and it's therefore, so it's, I guess like my mom's phrase, phrase worried sick. That's pretty much it. Right. <clears throat> yeah. I, I do wonder at times with like, you know, all this information at our fingertips and what we'll say is the evolution of self-awareness. If to a degree, it's like a de-evolution, which is the wrong word to say, but if like we're we've become so hyper aware of different ways people can be that we start latching on to being those things when maybe we're not. Agreed. Like maybe people that are worried sick say they're anxious and have anxiety, and then they start to manifest the symptoms of more anxiety by believing that they have something. And I don't want to say that they don't, but just with like all this information being thrown at you all the time. That if, you know, if you feel this way, if you think this way, if you do this thing, here's the box that you now need to go put yourself in. Yeah, that's, that's kind of where I was coming from. Okay. Yeah, I would yeah that makes sense. Worry is much more temporary, whereas actually yeah. you move into anxiety, which tends to be a much more of a permanent state. Um, and I think they are levels upon which you can develop. I think... Um, anxiety and depression can certainly be symptoms of other things that have gone on I think there are different stages or different levels of that you can have reactive depression through say a loss or a trauma or something you can have personalities and disorders that lean more towards a depressive mindset or anxiety state and you can have uh, the suggestion is there is a chemical imbalance in it I think we all have stages of worry and anxiety throughout our life, whether that's an exam, worry about a loved one on a journey home, 
I think that is very much a worry. But if you're then starting to feel like if I leave the house, something terrible is going to happen, mm. develops more and more, that then becomes more of an anxiety picture as opposed to a worry picture. And I think they should all be recognised. If someone says, oh, I've got this, then I think you should recognise it and then look at how it can be managed. I don't think reaching for medication is always the right thing. Sometimes it is exactly the right thing. And, and it's understanding what works for each individual. If you've got a broken leg and you can't get around, you use a pair of crutches. And maybe it's just trying to find the right crutch for your anxiety at that time. Sometimes it's being able to share what you're anxious about and talk about it and rationalize it. <clears throat> Other times it's, it's not that. I heard a fucking great bit on a stand-up comedy act last night. Anybody that knows me knows I fucking love stand-up. I don't remember who it was. I watched two different ones last night, but essentially, I think it was Mike Epps and he was talking about problems in the world, whatever. I don't remember the bit, but the idea was kind of like, if God came down today and was like, throw all your problems on the ground, you no longer have them. And then five minutes later, he said, pick your problems up. And somebody picked up your problems, you would frantically be looking around the pile of problems to find yours because you don't want other people's. And that, to a degree, depending on where you're at, like that's not 100% accurate, but I just love the idea of like, maybe be more in love with your problems than you are because, you know, you could pick up somebody else's and then now all of a sudden you're in a, cir a circumstance that you have no idea what to do compared to like where you're at with your own. Well, I like that. I like that. Be in love with your own problems more than yeah. you are. That is, yeah. I like that. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Yeah. I will say, though, and I will blame Paul Warrior for this, my main problem today is my glutes are ruined from Monday. <laughs> all those kickbacks, man. Fucking conjugate. Yeah, it's, no. it's, it's all my booty, booty builders. So, yeah, I, I, I underestimated, I underestimated the, uh, the ferocity of the curtsy squat. Yeah, I'm assuming other people have mentioned the same thing. There's a lot of glute pain going on. And, I, and, and I, it, it just, to me, it demonstrates a weakness in all your capabilities. Like, the yeah. fact that you couldn't do 214 curtsy squats is beyond me. Uh, yeah. The queen had died. Get on that knee. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I'm, I'm embracing it. I'm just broken by it. Was, was that the point of the workout? For a, for a bit of clarity there, there was also a barbell on the shoulder. Um, uh, two. Two. Between two barbells, between two people, though. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah, we did we, we did a tribute workout for the Queen um, on the day on the morning of the funeral, and um, I, I I actually enjoy writing the tribute workouts. Um, and yeah, that was that was one of them. The curtsy squats seemed apt. Yeah, they were fine at the time. I like that. They were there was two hundred. The there was two hundred and fourteen worm like two barbells. Imagine like a coffin. Um, two barbells yeah. on the shoulders. Um, <clears throat> so yeah. Well, I think the I think the I I think these um, I think these tribute workouts they 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 manifest themselves in different ways, and I just think they're a lot of fun to write. Um, well, it kind of like gets it, you out of like the normal day to day stuff where you're trying to like piece together things you normally wouldn't think about. Well, I, yeah, I think when you come at it from a narrative, like it's multiple, isn't it? It's like everyone goes straight down the numbers route like a day and that's like one thing, but it's, then it's like, okay, then you get other options. It's like, 
like with the when I did the one for Thorn, it was like a gratitude one. So you had to write things during it. And then there was you know the Queen one where it was like, okay, we're going to use movements that, you know, I don't think movements that you like Curti Squat just came in there, the number scheme. It's like, okay. Then we did like the runs with the barbells on the shoulders, like one of a better word, like a coffin carry. I know it sounds a bit bleak, but it's like all of a sudden you're starting to think to yourself, like, so what are the actions? How is this manifesting itself? What's the the story? What's the narrative? How does this workout become a prophetic act? And the whole idea that it's like, it's got, it's got nothing to do with, in that instance, it's got nothing to do with being, it's got nothing to do with physical adaptation other than the psychological benefits of doing something, you doing something personally for some someone else outside of you. And, you know, and, and that gets a different response out of people. Oh, absolutely. I mean, how many people <clears throat> knew they were going to do 214 curtsy squats? No. no. I just fucking did it, and then they went, holy shit, I can't sit down or go to the bathroom anymore. And that's it. Asses are destroyed everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's worth mentioning the pool bearers, bless them, that coffin weighed around to like 250, yeah. 300 kilograms because it's lead-lined. I mean, it's no joke lifting it from here up onto their shoulders. I mean, oh, when they went from the hole there onto the shoulder, I was like, oof. Yeah, it's, like, well, it's basically a clean, isn't it? Oh, it was a clean, yeah. yeah. It was, it was, it was hand, the problem. It's a hand clean. Yeah. To be fair, it was probably one of the only <laughs> real-life real functional uses of a clean I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> it transferred over. <clears throat> yeah. There you go. So if anyone's ever complaining about transfer of a clean... There you go. More of a sandbag clean than a barbell clean. <clears throat> well, yeah, but it's a clean. I was just impressed <laughs> by them and the little movements they did. I just thought, fair play, guys. Yeah. I don't want to go into a bleak conversation, but do hearses have like a one mile an hour function or did he have his foot on the clutch the whole time? Do you know what we had that... this conversation? Is it on, does it have like a cruise control to go at a set speed? Because, yeah. But generally, I'd be, I'm, a, I'm a terrible driver. I'd be like, in the back of people's legs, a lot left, right, and center. Generally, a cruise control in a normal car wouldn't kick in until like quite high up. So I think on a UK road, I don't think a cruise control kicks in until 40 plus. Hearses have got to have a special function. They've got yeah. to have. Otherwise, he's, his, his like, ankle and foot control superb number one number one functional yeah. Yeah, so dorsi, off, his dorsiflexion king off fitness <laughs> slightly which we're kind of there already and you don't have to answer this if you're afraid somebody's going to show up at your door and take you away but is it sad the queen died for you yes. guys yeah so okay. not, not everyone we're very just mixed, like a cultural very perspective mixed. like if a president died here i'm not i probably wouldn't give a shit i know like, oh, cool and then move on with my day i think she it's a big, it's a big a thing. A lady in her 20s said, I will give my life to service to this country. Sure. And well, I mean, it's different, right? Because she's been the queen for how, how many years was it? 70. Yeah, so for yeah. presidents here, you get four. And, uh, and 214 days. And yeah, 214 days. <laughs> Don't I know that. Don't I know that. <laughs> the fact that she was uh, saying hello to the new prime minister two days before she died. I mean, she worked right up to her death, bless her. yeah. I was just curious how you guys see it because I have no idea. Yeah, I, I was sad. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people in this country who were who were also not sad, but I mean, it's just 
Sure. That's just how, that's how every country is and divided. I, yeah. I kind of, res- I kind of respected it. I kind of, I don't know, kind of respected it. I kind of felt it was a, an important moment in, in, in as a country. So yeah, I respected it. I watched, I think 4 billion people tuned in or something. Yeah. I think whether, whether or not you were a fan of the monarchy, you can't disrespect and refuse and refute the fact it was a massive deal because it yeah. was. And mm. I think that's the way I feel about it. It's, it. it's a massive deal and you have to respect that regardless sure. of how you feel. Well, I mean, even mm. here, right? Like, like I said, you get four or eight years of one person and then, you know, you get turnover here in our presidency, like you get turnover as coaches in a gym. Um, you know, you guys had a queen for your entire life and now you'll presumably have what a king for the rest of your life. So you dealt mm, with kind of, <laughs> yeah, well, maybe 10 I, years. <laughs> okay. I, excuse my ignorance. I have no idea, but like, I know for a fact here, it's just going to be cool. Like you have one more term and then a new person and then a new person. And you're I just mean, like, Oh, we're not, we're, we're not even voting most of our prime ministers in anymore. They just get in because the main one's incompetent. Yeah. I mean, if Biden gets in for a second term, is he going to make it to the end of that second term? I'm shocked he's made it this far, to be honest. Uh-huh. It, it's amazing to me, like, that we can put a 70-whatever-the-fuck-he-is-year-old in there that clearly so shot, shows signs through not being able to speak well of, you know, loss of cognitive function, and we're just fine mm-hmm. with it. Like, the person that's, you know, theoretically running our country, and they can't even say, like, United States of America in a speech without slurring their words or jumbling them together. And I don't know, maybe that's not necessarily the best way to judge somebody that's running a country, but I feel like (laughs) being able to speak to the people should be a big one. And I don't know. It's just, it's weird. We're trying to be progressive and make all these changes. And we keep Mm. putting people in office who were born in like 1927. Yeah. I think it raises an interesting point about how, not necessarily about health and fitness, but more about, how in touch people are with the world. Sure. In terms of the age of people who are in charge of the major things in the world. Yeah. I mean, if you're 73 or five or six or however old he is, like you grew up with like racism, it was normal. It was something you were just like in, cause that was how mm. the world was here. Like you were just a part of it. And if you're in an affluent white male, you probably, saw more of the negatives of racism being a part of those things or being in systems that didn't allow different cultures or races to be in something. So you're influenced by that. You have to be. And I'm not like, yes, in hindsight, obviously it's bad. And I'm not saying it was good then, but at the time to those people, there was almost nothing wrong with it because that was just the way the world was. And we've obviously evolved from that, but those ideologies and parts of that are still there. And I'm not saying that should disqualify somebody from doing something, but if we're trying to be progressive and move forward, shouldn't we like have somebody that's more in tune with being progressive and moving forward? You would think, but then <clears throat> there are other people who get to vote yeah. <laughs> on such yeah. matters who yeah. might not feel the same way. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And, and that, that is quite an interesting point about, bringing it back to the health and fitness side of things about it's just people who don't care. They just don't care. Yeah. About the health. I also like, I feel bad for that because you can 
Google like body positivity and be like, I'm doing the right thing. Mm. And I'm not saying being over fat is the wrong thing, but I'm saying over time at some point when it does become the wrong thing, when health markers go down or you don't heal from something correctly or COVID comes about, then it's too late. And that sucks. Yeah. But, but, but Lizzo, Lizzo, she's, she's famous and she's big. Who the fuck is that? Lizzo. Who? She's yeah, a. She's lost a, me there. Is that, is a, that a new health minister? No, she's a. Um, she's a larger lady who does pop music. Let's say. So if she gets skinny like Adele did, is everybody going to fucking hate her? Yeah, probably. <coughs> yeah. So yeah. I don't but, know. I, I I don't know if I'm. I think any well one. I say again. I'm. I'm very diplomatic today. I ain't saying anything like anyone's bodies. I do think that there is. It comes back to influence and what are you influencing and encouraging. And I don't mean that you are encouraging by being bigger. That's unfair. Or being smaller. Um. I just have an issue. I don't know. I I guess our job is just to promote health. Um. And it's unfortunate that actually most of our health is is celebrated through people who have a dis functional addiction to training anyway so you know um so, so where, i don't know where the balance is anymore to be honest um, yeah I don't, even like saying health and fitness to a degree i'm like what do those words at this point even mean yeah. you know because there's you know there's the crossfit games there's mall walking and then there's everything in between um and then there's things beyond those things and I think from a person that's been fat, been skinny, been fat, been skinny, like I get what it's like to be in the, like the body of somebody who's like, you feel, I didn't feel incapable cause I didn't think in terms of that word, but that's how it felt. Um, and I get like how hard it is to go from that feeling to seeing somebody that is fit and like trying to see the gap and bridge that feels so fucking impossible. So then you start like latching on to finding things that make you feel better about who you are or how you feel, which I don't think is necessarily bad. It could be a trap, I think, Um, you know, and I think I just feel for those people that I think they want to get in a better place, but it feels impossible to do so. So then you latch on to it not being, I don't want to say a problem, but for lack of a better word, a problem, because I think at some point it will be. Mm. And, 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 and it, it, I mean, it's just a just a challenging thing in terms of what we need to express as professionals, um, saying that we are, but express as professionals because you know our job is try to, I guess our job, as I said, is to try and help you change and become more capable in whatever that looks like, and therefore we're wanting you to potentially live longer, provide better, um, set a good example for your family. I mean, the amount of people you work with who are parents who like struggle to have a good relationship with food with their children and they haven't got time to eat, but they'll feed their children. I'm like, but the lesson you're feeding your, your, your the, the lesson that you're potentially putting out there isn't one of the child is, will eventually pick up your behavior versus picking up the behavior of receiving the meal. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, I don't know. I was like, so what, I, what example are you putting there? So it, it's just tricky and it's hard. And actually, like, I'm realizing more and more that the only sphere of influence as an influencer I can have is by creating an environment that hopefully cultivates positive change, the ethos that we have, and use that as a Petri dish for other people who are interested in looking in to see what we're doing. 
and the rest is out of my control. I wonder what would happen if you gave an 18-year-old a car and said, right, this has to last you for your life and you have to maintain it. And if it breaks, that's it. That's your only car you're going to get and you don't get to, to use it. Obviously, there's going to be some wear and tear in there. But actually, if they maintain it well, it should last. Let's, let's say that works. But we don't look at that in the same way with our bodies. We don't look in the mirror and go, well, this has got to last me a long time. We, we look at it that way once we have to yeah mm. that point generally it's too late depending on who you are but oh you were doing it for someone else like oh i have to look after keegan cool i'd probably take good care of him probably a lot more care than i would take for myself and then and I, and I don't i don't know where that falls under self-worth or trying to take a bigger deal into that but do you know what i mean i probably took better court take care of my dog than i did myself um do you know what i mean and i don't mean that oh, yeah. in a, like a flipping way do you know what I've re- that's you've raised it like a thought in my mind that's quite interesting so i've always cared a little bit about being healthy or being healthy enough shall we say because yeah. i think that's a lot of people are like oh i'm healthy enough but actually I, I genuinely remember the time when i thought actually i need to look after myself a bit better was after I had my first son. And I remember I was out on my bike, like maybe two months after he was born. I'm going back to 2011. And I was like, I need to do more of this because I want to be able, I want to be around. It's really interesting you say that because I stopped playing rugby so I wouldn't injure myself further because I wanted to be able to run around with Toby as I got older. I mean, I've got no cartilage in my right knee. One's been reconstructed. I've got damaged left knee where I fractured my patella in half. And it's like, okay, I could keep playing rugby and make these much more chronic injuries or I could stop and do something else that keeps me fit and allows me to run around with Toby as he gets older because my father can't run around with him. You know, his knees that's, the, that's like the airplane analogy. Like put, put your oxygen mask on yeah. first and then help others. Exactly. If you run out of air and you die, you can't help anybody. No. I'm not having a child to get lean. Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. Do you know what? It, it does help, you know, because you can't sit down. You cannot stop. But, it, but, it, cannot but, it, but it's inter- it's interesting that that like that we then like would you know put our some someone else is is what can make us make those changes. Do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I was thinking about something the other day, which was like, was I don't know. I just had this phrase in my head, which was like, you know, like treat your neighbour like you'd want to treat yourself. And I was like, yeah, but most people treat themselves like shit. <laughs> you know, hey, sometimes <laughs> you treat your neighbours better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like. And, and and you know and that is people's thing um there's that uh, what is the song by the song by idols which is um if i talk the way if i talk to you the way you talk to you i'd punch you yeah you know what i mean and it was like well, if you I'd talk to me the way you te- talk I'd to you i'd punch through. you yeah. that's the one yeah. so like you know what i mean and that and that sums it up doesn't it it's like actually we can be pretty self-destructive mm. and non-caring or whatever it is Yeah. Somber. Wow. Is it, is it though? It's happened a few times. Is it, is yeah, it somber? Yeah, it's happened a few times. <clears throat> Maybe. I, d- 
I don't know if it is somber. I think it's just, I don't know, yeah. But then that, that somber thought mm. leads to a positive thought. Yeah. Like, shit, I'm, if I don't do something, I'm going to die. Mm. So therefore I take the other fork in the road and I go the other way, away from the early death. Or I, I take the path that leads me to a more, well, <clears throat> for, for me, a more fulfilling life that allows yeah. me to do those things rather than just sit on the sofa whilst someone tugs my, you know, tugs my leg saying, oh, can you come and play with me? Sorry, I can't. Maybe, maybe it's just a spitefulness and saying I want to live longer than my enemies. <clears throat> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also think more often than not, like we change our habits because of something external. A kid girlfriend, boyfriend, wife, husband, you know, some sort trauma. of interaction, accident, yeah. trauma. Near-death experience, yeah. 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 And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think it's more often that way than not that way. It's often short-lived, though. Yeah. I think if that's the catalyst, then you need to continue to, like, unpack that and dive into, like, what that's actually saying. Like, if having a son was like, hey, man, I need to do more of this, it's like, well, more of what? Why this? And if that's, like live longer, be healthier. And you have a son in the background being like, fucking because of me, like there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So I can tell a story. Um, a close relative was having a shoulder operation. Um, he's in his, well, how old was he then? Mid fifties. And they thought he had a heart attack. He actually had an anaphylactic job to the morphine, but he thought he had a heart attack. He said, right, I'm going to get really fit and healthy. And it lasted three, four months. And now he's grossly overweight and obese, can't do things, got sleep apnea. And it was a flash in the pan and it wasn't enough to sustain him and make him look in the mirror and go, my life was going in this trajectory. I've got a chance to change this. And it doesn't matter how, what you tell them. Do you know what? I have multiple clients, friends, people I know who have been who have been on death's door and it still wasn't enough for them to change. Yeah. To change their view, not their viewpoint. On, well, a lot, a lot of it is, I know a few people have suffered with eating disorders from a, from a under eating point of view and, um, being told that you are being told that you're potentially coming to the end of your life. Isn't enough to want to put weight on. I don't understand the psychological trauma around mm. it's not my profession in terms of that specific specific profession. It's a profession itself, but seeing people who are still, oh, uh, can I still do some cardio though? Like, what? <laughs> like, we're being serious here? Like, yeah, but I really need to do some cardio. I'm worried I'm getting fat. It's like, oh, you, you weigh less than the barbell right now. Right. I mean, that's, um, I mean, type 2 diabetes is arguably within reason completely curable curable through diet nutrition but people would rather stick an insulin pen in their belly or take their blood readings every day than yeah. go for a fucking walk and eat some better food yeah absolutely yeah and if you look at most long-term metabolic diseases or um copd emphysema they are um lifestyle the diseases of lifestyle I think Denver's passing a law with like free insulin or something like that for people with diabetes. And you're like, what about free, like health, like, you know, fucking expertise or whatever, like go what's for a walk. 
and put the donuts down. And then in six months, you don't need the insulin anymore. Yeah. And I know it's um, like a flippant way to say it. It's not that easy, but no, it's not that easy. I think, but I think, I think sleep eight hours sleep a night is 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 about six times more effective than an antidepressant. Yeah, but yeah. Well, Paul, I, you're in that world, so it's yeah. not that easy. But like, what would it look like? Well, what what for? Uh, oh, that Paul. Like, type, yeah. Sorry, uh, type uh, the the doctor Paul, nurse Paul. Paul. Nice, Paul. Um, I think it's understanding if it's your. So you've got these. Um, oh, I don't say Langerham, which I think produce your insulin in your kidneys. So if they run out, actually, you know, you're just not producing enough insulin, so you can't get rid of the the sugar that's going in. But actually, if it's lifestyle and you're metabolically compromised, then yes, you can put diabetes into remission. Right. You wouldn't so say you're cured of it, but because there's a chance it can come back, and there's a sure. reason why. Um, but yeah, there is that potential of putting it into remission through lifestyle. Right, and that's like if you're on the cusp of like your A1C being like 5.6 or higher or whatever it yeah, is. So like in the UK, your A1C or HbA1c diagnosis is 47 and above in the okay. UK. And you'd be pre-diabetic at 42. So that's when we try and get lifestyle intervention in yeah. really hard before any medication is started. And we try and then do that. And then they'll have repeat blood tests every six or 12 months to kind of say, look, this is where it's at. And let's look at this. And it's also understanding that with that, your kidney function is going to get affected, which then affects your heart function, which increases the risk of heart failure and um, heart attack it's a whole host of sure. shittiness and insulin with anybody with diabetes, if they live long enough, insulin is going to be the end point. Yeah. Speaking. Yeah. My, my grandmother was on dialysis for like 14 years. Yeah. It was like a record at the hospital and she had insulin or she had insulin. She had diabetes my entire life. Um, so it was just interesting to pay attention to that as a kid in hindsight now of like her inactivity, the way she ate, the things she did. And I'm not saying it would have cured her by any means, but just to like go for a walk, maybe not have a bowl of ice cream at night. Uh, There's curing and there's also consideration of quality of life. Sure. I I think that's a a big thing that people don't realize the impact it's going to have. And there's an element of cognitive dissonance where, oh, I'll be fine. I can stop this. And all of a sudden, what starts as a snowball is an avalanche and you're not stopping an avalanche. Right. Yeah. And I don't know how it is over there, but here it's like we just promote, you know, take this pill, use this needle, do this thing, go back to your life. This is how you'll be fine. And then I think at this point, we all know that's kind of, again, like a snowball effect of, Mm -hmm. You're taking this. Now you need to take this eventually to combat what this is doing. And before you know it, you're 20 years down the road and you've got, you know, a plethora of pills you're putting in your body three times a day. It's, I think with diabetes in particular, perhaps the problem is often you won't find out you're getting it until you're, let's take an age range from 50 to 60. So you're trying to reverse 50 years worth of habit. And lifestyle. Sure. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And more, oh, I don't know, I don't know what the numbers would be, but you know, is the patient coming to you and saying, "What can I do to change this?" As opposed to, "What can you do to help me with this?" 
and I would imagine actually that's the same with anybody that comes into a gym. What are you going to do to help me get fit as opposed to what can I do to get, get myself fit? Right. And I kind of look at it a little bit would be like if somebody came to me and they were like, Hey, I want to get strong. And I went, cool. Take Anavar. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not creating good habits. I'm not promoting <clears throat> health and well-being. I'm not, but it's still I feel like I wouldn't be, I'd be disingenuous to the way I see fitness and health. Um, but that would also work. And then that would be a snowball of either what's the next thing I can take or the next thing, or I took too much and now my liver or my internal organs or anything like that. So to me, it's like, as a doctor, like it's, if somebody's coming to you, like I have these problems, you also have to navigate that world a bit to maybe ask better questions of the people that come seek you out as well. Yeah. And maybe it's different because you're paying for a service in the States. So you're the customer and you want a provision. Uh, and whilst you don't necessarily have to, diabetic medication is free no matter what age you are in the uk um but it isn't maybe it's going more that way that i'm the patient therefore i want what i want i don't know i don't i wouldn't necessarily that's the case in my in my my personal experience i think patients are open to conversation and are concerned of what it might mean in the future yeah, and I think I was referring to when you said, is the patient coming to say, what can I do to make yeah. or going and being like, what can you give me to make me better? Like navigating that conversation better. Oh, so in that, it's very much, oh, hold on a second. We need to do two things at once here. You need to do some work as well. This is going to supplement what you're doing. And this Sure, is and I assume like coaching, not every doctor does that or every nurse does that or every <laughs> medical professional, right? Like it's it's the same thing, but different. Uh, and time has a big impact on that as well. Yeah. Is a lot of that, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but everyone or the vast majority of people want an easy life and they want to sort of do the things that are easy. And I think a doctor prescribing a particular thing to fix something <clears throat> is probably the easiest way they've got sure. in certain situations. Not in every situation, but in certain situations. And I think that's just maybe a symptom of where we're at. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think it yeah. also perhaps removes the responsibility from self and puts it on to somebody else. Well, you're giving me this, mm. so it's going to make me better. So if I'm not better, it's your fault. So it's like the person who gets the weightlifting program but doesn't get stronger because they've not actually done the exercises. What's the coach's fault because they've got a poor program? Well, actually, no, it, it's your fault because you haven't done the program as, as it's prescribed. Um, what is it? One of your t-shirts says, you know, you're upset about the, the gains you didn't get from the exercises you didn't do. Yeah. The lap. <clears throat> it's true though, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, the, you know, the, the lack of, the lack of work or the lack of consistency or whatever reveals itself eventually one way or another. Um, how we tell that story on the way and who we influence in it is, you know, a byproduct of our own belief during that time. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm trying to be optimistic. I'm trying to find, to believe that people do want to change and, you know, we are, we are responsible for, 
I don't like to think of people as lazy. I don't think people are lazy. I think life's complicated and difficult and the options put in front of people are um, <clears throat> skewed to what they see. And that's sometimes led by a lot of people with money who are wanting to sell certain ways of living and thinking. And that makes it difficult. Um, you know, the drugs companies run a lot. The food companies run a lot. The clothing companies run a lot. Um, and people are, people are navigated through that, through marketing strategies that are built around manipulation and NLP and stuff like yeah. that. So it's, 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 it's hard, you know, what, you know, you can't expect people, people aren't dumb for fault for, people aren't dumb for falling for things that professionals, I mean, Mm. even if you look at like people like Donald Trump's behavior and stuff like that, when he was talking, it's not, wasn't random or accidental or even stupid. And people who think it was are crazy. Like he had a te teams of people of media training to help him say these things. <clears throat> that doesn't make people stupid or lazy. It makes some people really, really clever and knowing how to reach those people and influence those people. And, um, you know, I'm maybe not the right person to save people or help people. All I can, like I say, all I do is open the door and try and be a petri dish to what a healthy balance could look like, and have some examples out there with specialist training. But I don't think people are lazy. I no, and I'd agree. Like I, yeah. I empathize with it because I, to a degree, I get it. Like I said earlier, I've been there um, to a degree. And I, like when you eat an Oreo, you're not eating a cookie. You're eating a scientifically engineered thing that you're supposed to eat all the time. Like nobody made Oreos being like, eat one of them and then never buy this again. They're like, here's a bag with whatever's in there, 40 of them. <coughs> eat this as fast as you can and buy another one. I yep. mean, that's, that was Pringles' catch line, wasn't it? Once you pop, you can't stop. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and then, you get the, then you get the Oreo cheesecake and then you get the Oreo, Oreo protein shake and then you get the Oreo everything else. And it's like, oh, and then I'm meant to think, now Oreos are in my healthy options that aren't healthy. Right. And, you it's know, like, well, and it's confusing. So yeah, then you've got this lifestyle culture that's built around eating this thing that everyone's aware of and associates with. Like the the, the Biscoffs we've got. I don't know if they're big in America, but they're huge here at the moment. Like Biscoff everything. <laughs> yeah, Biscoff everything. And it's like, it's part of a culture. Lattes. Do you know what I mean? But all of that is made for you to have it and have more of it. Yeah. Right? Like, Steak wasn't made for anything other than eating. Like nobody went to a lab and was like, how do we make this? Well, they're doing it now. Um, and I'm, I don't want to get in a diet. I'm just saying like specifically, I don't remember if it was the seventies. There was a study done or a guy wrote an article called the bliss point. And it was all about manufacturing food to have like the perfect, uh, for lack of a better word again, sweet spot of like fatty, salty, sweet that overrides your brain's own signals of palate fatigue or fullness that then makes you continually want to eat more of them. So it's all Which, about money. Yeah. And, yeah, and, just, then, and, and then we think right. people are stupid. Right. For acting, for acting in a way that we've, that we've biologically enhanced food to override the system. Right. <laughs> Even like our school systems here, they came out with a study a couple of years ago and it's showing like French fries and pizza are considered vegetables because French fries are a potato and pizza has sauce on it or whatever it is. So then like you have these systems set up where you're like, kids need to eat this at school. And then they override away again to be like potato, like French fries are healthy, eat potatoes or 
you're getting your vegetables from your pizza. And it's just like, that's not true. Mm. But that's like, if you grow up with that, how do you get out of that? Mm. But then I think, I think, I think Paul makes it. Sorry, Paul, you go. Because they do food technology, home economics, teach you to cook. They don't do that here anymore. No. Uh, do we do it in this country nowadays? Um, I think Gabriel's just going to start doing it like in year seven. Yeah, I know Toby's talked about it, but... Yeah, they haven't started yet. No. I shouldn't say they don't. I've never been to a school where they had it, and I've never talked to a person that did it in school anymore either. I think that's a fair, fair assessment that they don't do it. <laughs> well, from what I've gathered, too, we're also taking away gym classes because it makes people feel uncomfortable. Yeah, you can't, you can't, God forbid you be sweaty. That or it makes kids feel incapable because they can't do what Johnny does. So they go home and they're like, oh my God, I hate gym class. And you're like, well, what about the kid that excels at that stuff, but doesn't do good in math? Are we going to take math away because he feels inferior when he can't do a problem? Like we have this thing where like internally in our brain, it's okay that we can't do stuff. But if we physically in front of people can't do a thing, then all of a sudden it becomes bad. Yeah, it's more visible. Right. Yeah, maybe because people don't get to see your math test, but they get to see the push-in <clears throat> test, and then you feel shame because of that, and that's bad. <clears throat> so I don't necessarily think it is, but... So back to taking away the external feedback, yeah. which therefore could enhance us because we see the sort of like the collective and how they're behaving and mirroring it and advancing and learning from others. So we take that away from it, and then we're left, you know... We're left with just showing a version of ourselves on social media that's edited. Mm. Yeah. And even and, if, like a teacher, if you're a gym teacher, I look at that almost like a coach. Like if you have a kid in class that doesn't want to do it, it's kind of on your job. It's kind of on you to figure out how to make that happen. And I know it's yeah. kids and it's a little more difficult and it's not always going to work. But the same way you'd try to figure out how to get somebody to have a better score on an English test by extra work, tutoring, something but when it comes to physical activity at least in this country for some reason we're like we're really hard against like if it makes people feel bad we shouldn't do it it's really strange because you put on pedestal your top sports stars uh-huh but don't celebrate physical success yeah i, I yeah that's a good point you know if physical success is not or physical prowess a uh, high level is, is celebrated. But um, if you're a straight A student, that's celebrated. What about being a good physical specimen? It's not, oh, because it doesn't feel comfortable. But actually, if you're getting Ds all the time, no one gives you a shit if you're feeling comfortable or not. Right. Yeah, we almost demonized the jock, at least in America, you know, big dumb male that, strong and active but doesn't offer the world much or at least that was my interpretation of a jock when i grew up i can see the the wheels turning warrior yeah i'm just yeah i'm just thinking i don't even know what i'm thinking about anymore i just i just kind of i just it's just it's all it's all just a bit messy i think it always was and always will be and it's kind of up to us to decide how we're going to try to filter through these conversations, this mess, and how that's going to impact what we do moving forward. Um, you know, 
I, I kind of think about more like my, my I, I kind of, we were all, you were all talking about children and things that have influenced you and all I can think of is like, I really just visually like training and people training in terms of kind of like seeing movement, mechanics, potential change, successes, victories, the style of it, the culture of it, the programming around it, kind of that's kind of the stuff that excites me. Sure. Kind of why do I, why would I like to live longer to hopefully create something that I'm proud of? After that, I can just perish like I'm fine, but I just <laughs> want to live long enough to have created something I'm proud of um, in a creative sense. I think. Yeah, I respect that. Yeah, I, feel <clears throat> and I don't need you about the gym. You know, <clears throat> I find it, I, I do, I find it hard. I can relate to all of the people who struggle with food. I can re- relate to the people who struggle with anxiety and depression in some way or another. Um, <clears throat> I can relate to the people who struggle with exercise. Um, you know, I like to think that maybe if nothing else, I can point to where the dragons are on the map that aren't there anymore and say, don't go here because I've been there. Um, or I've seen where this leads if it wasn't for me. And hopefully that we can you know, guide a right path to something through all of this noise that gets people a little bit more capable and and not just a little bit more capable. I'm also excited about people who have dreams and visions and how being physically capable or capable in another sense can help them accomplish what they think their calling is. Because I think that's super important. People having purpose is is an amazing thing. And whether that purpose is just encouraging fitness, doing a podcast, reaching people, writing books, you know, coaching people and navigating them, you know, kind of my inspiration of all the stupid things in the world was, and I might've said this before, but it's, it's Phil from Hercules, you know, the, you know, the little, the, the little, the little guy who's got the, the who's for legs. who was the old coach who, the old coach who, uh, who failed all of his clients and then he eventually gets to work with Hercules and in the Disney, in the Disney version. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and he gets to work with Hercules and he finally gets to accomplish something and it's not without trouble and it's not without it going wrong and it's not without fallout and breakup. But in the end, you know, something special comes out of it. So, and I, th- and I think that's, I think that's cool, right? There are, there are two things that strike me from what you just said. You're not looking for the absence of a struggle you're accepting the struggle as part of it and that's an important part so you can look back on it and you're also excited by those people with a vision of where they want to go so what happens about those people that know they want to be fit but don't have a specific purpose then you but but those people who don't have a specific purpose but want to get fit i think that is that part of their journey their part of their journey is to be fitter and more capable than they are so they can either live longer or pursue their dreams better or maybe they need to just go somewhere where they're getting some other of the benefits of training in a group class for instance which is like community and you know and companionship and meeting people outside of their current network or maybe they're in a city where they don't have one and and training offers them more and perhaps it doesn't need to be anything more than that I won't say best hour of their day, but but something that complements the other hours of their day, their week, and their existence. 
And those people don't, training doesn't need to be, everyone doesn't need to be an entrepreneur. Everyone doesn't need to be, there is intrinsic value in every single person in every day that they wake up. That even the worst person can maybe bring light to someone, you know, whether it's petting a dog, whether it's doing something and it doesn't, and there is that spectrum. I love having the gym and having that collective of people who are just there for a badass hour. And I'm also really excited by the people who have a clear vision, which is like, yeah, this is potentially going to take over your life because this is where your, your life's venture is taking your life's venture is take adventure is taking you right now and creating a community and helping people get through that and working with individuals that the different programs, the different, um, the different design projects for want of a better word, um, uh, with different purpose, but they they all hopefully contribute to a fitter world that shows e- that allows people to reach more. Yeah, I like the not having it be the best hour of your day. Like if you come to the gyms, the best hour you have, like what is going wrong in the other 24? <laughs> yeah. But I do like the idea of like, I want it to be an hour that propels the rest of your day into like, maybe you showed up in the morning class and you got to go to work after or pick your kid up from school. And you're kind of like, eh, having a shitty day, didn't sleep good, arguing with a boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever life struggles are. But yeah, if that one hour can like propel you out of that current state, into I don't want to say like a better day or at least just out of that state into something new I think that is the end goal for me as well is like yeah let's come in and figure some shit out like I want you to be excited to be here I kind of want you to be a little nervous but not nervous to the point of like I don't want to come but just like what are we going to do what kind of day is it going to be um and then, yeah, like, I mean, Twight always said, like, people should accelerate out the door. And I completely <coughs> believe that. Whether that's from having a fucking horrible beatdown of a workout to let's just do a nice, easy session. So maybe all you do is end up talking for an hour. But mm-hmm. I, I always want people as best I can to leave feeling somewhat better in physically, psychologically way than when they got there. Absolutely. And, it, and if you take and if you if you teach them to run teach them to lift a body weight or carry a body weight, um, teach them to pick heavy things up, teach them, um, teach them to ride, teach them to swim, climb. You were pretty much like, there is a whole bunch of things there that like could be, and even jumping on a box or jumping onto something that could be fear inducing and anxiety increasing in people's day to day lives that we can eliminate through some simple exercises, some simple strategies. And actually therefore, at least we're reducing some level of anxiety they could have, you know, or what if my car breaks? I mean, maybe not in America, but in the UK, you could probably run most places in our my city. You know, if, you know, I, I remember once I got to, uh, I was at work and it was quite a while before I lived about 11 miles away from work. And, um, I did, wasn't training, but I was training a bit and, um, I lost my bank card and I couldn't get on the Metro and I just put my backpack on and just ran to work. That sounds like you. Yeah, yeah, it's something stupid like I do, but it's um, but you know, it was uh, but it's just that kind of thing about yeah, but I can, you know, I don't need to sit there and go, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And therefore, luckily, I had the time to do that. But 
it was, that, that, meant, that meant I could walk to the metro. I could be in that situation without that fear, anxiety, and stress. I know it's a minor example, but it's like increasing people's capability. I've said wrote this before. People, increasing people's incapability, even small case, decreases the amount of things that we can be anxious about. Yeah, at least from a physical perspective. I think I have that written down on a piece of paper at my desk <coughs> at the gym because you said that last time. Yes. There you go, but uh, that I wasn't do want, and want to point out that when you were talking about getting people to run better, swim, climb, et cetera, that you use the word teach. Um, Cause I hate the word coach. I fucking hate it. Like anybody <laughs> can be a coach, you know, you go to orange theory and you cheer people on cause they're in their orange zone. You're like, I'm a coach at orange theory. And I really like the idea for myself of like transitioning to teacher. We're now like when I program for a class or whatever it is, I'm like, what, what can I teach them today that is moving the needle forward, no matter how little or far that might be, that can slowly start compounding on top of each other, as opposed yeah. to just like this litany list of shit to do, to be like, you lifted a bunch of barbells today and you did a bunch of sweating. I Just trust me, you got better, as opposed yeah. to how do I have you think about this workout differently? How can I, you know, tie in some sort of analogy or something to like, if you can do this, then why can't you do this thing outside of the gym where it actually matters? That kind of yeah. shit. Yeah. And you don't need to get through that. I mean, when you've been doing it as long as probably we have, and you typically, we're not the type of gym. We're not like, we're not like a, what's it called? The one in Bali where it's like 300 new people in the door every day. You don't need to demonstrate a wall ball every session. You can to show the floor, but you don't need to talk through it as if right. they've never done it before. When that space frees up, the opportunity to teach new lessons in increases. Yeah. And, you know, and that is like, you know, like I said, like talking to the, to the client about how to deal with their anxiety in that moment. It was like, that was a different lesson. They were like, that's really helped me. It's like, okay, cool. You know? Yeah. And then like those, you build on those little things, right? Of, you know, when I took over a class, we started rowing and everybody had little mechanical issues with the way they rode. So it was like, cool, we're going to spend the next four weeks playing with rowing. So sometimes that was warm up. Sometimes that was workouts. Sometimes it was just like, Hey, we're going to go through these different stroke patterns and different things. So you guys can feel what it's supposed to be like. And now I outside of like a cue or a reminder here or there, like I don't have to go over rowing with that class anymore. So now it's like, Hey, get your rowers out. We're going to do this at this stroke rate or whatever it might be for a warm up, And they just get the rowers and they go do it. And then the conversations or the things that, that can happen on top of that now far exceed just being like, we're going to start with teaching rowing every single time we get a rower out. Yep. That thing that the thing I said about mirroring people, what I get to do people do, what I really love about that is I love paying attention to the people who can't, I've said this before as well, but can't watch people succeed. So I'm like, you don't learn. You always get the yeah. ones who like someone else gets a muscle up first. And the first <laughs> thing they do is turn their back on them. And I'm like, you just turned your back on what success looks like. That's terrible. <laughs> That's a terrible sure. idea. That ain't going to help you. So it's like, learn to look at success. Learn to face the fact that you're not there yet, but you could be. Right, and, and it's okay to not be there. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. But you're more likely to get there looking at it than looking yeah. away oh, from 100%. it. percent. <clears throat> yeah, and I don't think people realize, like, when they do that, they're discrediting, like, they go like, oh, I can't, so I don't want to watch or whatever. You're yeah. discrediting all the work that person's put in because you yeah. don't know where they started either. And yeah, there's, you know, the freaks that walk into the gym and they got to muscle up like that. But also what, what have you done in your life that makes you that, you know, fit, agile, capable, competent, because that all exists too. 
absolutely absolutely and so yeah then that's what people need to do just watch success and that's what we can do i mean that's what we can do as professionals and as, and as podcasters and book writers is not just not just yes it's okay to be the anxious one highlighting the peril but it's also like where's the light in this where's the light in the story um let's show what success looks like people will get it and you know i think more people around me got muscle ups when i got muscle ups because just people didn't think i could do it people like oh shit shit paul's doing now i must be able to do them and then everyone did (laughs) it was like all right this is great um you know it but you it's easier just to show sometimes yeah and i mean what there's multiple ways to lead right you lead from the front lead from the back lead from the middle in coaching that means a whole different a whole bunch of different things but like i did a workout first time i did a workout friday with my 9 a.m class and it was you know a bunch of bike row ski stuff the stuff everybody knows I'm good at, but then in and amongst that was the 200 meter run. And I was like, all right, I want to be first on this run every time I got to go out the door. Cause I don't think people think I will be first on this run. And that wasn't for them to pat me on the back. I just wanted them to be like, Oh, that's a different level of trying than we thought or whatever yeah. they would see with that. And I'm, I don't know if that was helpful or not, but everybody had a fucking blast and watching people go out that door when I wasn't going out that door it seemed like it was at a greater intensity than what it was when I wasn't working out with them. Yeah. No, I love that. We, we do it. We do you to do a team workout on a Saturday where all the coaches train with the, with the men, but we do something low, low skill and high intensity yep. just so everyone can do it together. And well, I mean, gives, the atmosphere completely changes. I, I think high intensity degree, like you have to see it to understand it because yeah. you don't know, like you'd kind of know what a muscle up looks like, but I don't think you understand what, like a sustained high output effort looks like until you actually see it. Oh, I can't sustain it. That's for sure. <laughs> you don't go out hard. Die quick. <laughs> that's it. That's it. But at least they know what hard looks like then. Yeah. Um, and there is that, I mean, there is that you see people go on like air bikes and I know, I know your, I know your experience of the assault bike, but uh, you know, you see people go out on them and then you see someone go hard on them and you're like, Hey, that bike's making a different noise than you thought yeah. it made. Yeah. Like, and then, then people are like, oh, that's what hard looks like now. That's what intensity looks like. Yeah. <clears throat> and then you, you know, see intensity- how they act after, and you're like, oh, I don't. And obviously, there's you know things involved in fitness that go into this more, but we don't have to go into that. But like, you see somebody get off of a hard effort on the salt bike, and you're like, oh, that's different than what I did. Yeah. I didn't feel Absolutely. the way that looks. I didn't sound how he or she sounds. I didn't have to fall on the ground. Oh, there's a, there's another notch that maybe you're not there yet, but now you understand that like, there's more, there's more there. You just have to get there. Intensity, intensity got demonized as a dirty word. And, you know, we had to then put all the words in front of it, like consistency and stuff like that. And it's like, hang on, but isn't intensity the one, the one factor in metabolic adaptation? I know it's relative intensity across different domains and et cetera, but intensity is like, but the metabolic element is the precursor. You know, you could be fit and not be able to squat. You're sure. not functional, but you could be fit and not be able to squat. Some people can't squat. Not because they can't, but mechanically they may have an issue. So it's quite interesting as I just listened to you guys. I think if I was to do classes, I would like to be the worst person in the class because I know all those people in front of me are going to pull me forwards. Does that make sense? Yeah, but you yeah. won't be the worst for very long. With that attitude, you won't be the worst for very long. That's the thing. Yeah. Uh, 
but you know exactly because I want to improve. Um, but it wouldn't it wouldn't frighten me, or I'd be intimidated, but I would still do it. And I think seeing people excel really does drag you along and pull the needle forwards. Oh yeah, you want to be in a room full of tryers for sure. <laughs> here's here's something from Monday, and I'm going to call you out, Paul. And you said I was. Did you say I was Marty on Monday morning? I wouldn't I think possibly say anything like you had a right Marty face on. It was just too early, and I'm not used to working out in a group. A group. No, what you needed was your little feelings journal with you so you could write it down instead of wearing it on your face. Exactly, yeah. But I didn't have it with me, so I wrote it on my face. Um, <laughs> but just going back to what Paul Jones was saying there, during the workout, which was high intensity, low skill, everyone could do it. I put in effort so that I wasn't the worst person there, or at least yep. tried not to be, if that makes sense. Yeah. Particularly on the um on the ergs and you know, trying to trying to push as hard as I could. But you, 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 you do what people do, and that's why we put people in a team setting, right? Because most people will not want to let the team down. But then does that so go they will back sacrifice to sacrifice themselves? Does that go back to ego and thinking, okay, I'm coming into this setting that I'm not used to, and I don't want to look stupid? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I maybe, yeah. but also we tricked you into doing that by putting you in that scenario. Yeah. I mean, I the. The greatest motivator in the world is shame and the fear of it. <laughs> and that's why team workouts work. And like, you have to be careful with how you use it, but people can shame you into doing fucking anything. That's why people jump off bridges when they shouldn't or jump out of fucking airplanes. Or yeah. It's not because they necessarily want to. They'd rather just have the experience of whatever comes from cliff diving into this water as opposed to the ridicule they'll get from their friends for the rest of their lives. Is yeah. Is I that know, the same as not they... letting, not wanting to let the side down? Yeah. If that Did makes it sense, it's a different. I think that's a different thing. It's rather than just an individual thing. It's a. I don't want to be the, the like the worst person on this team. Oh, I mean, you, how is... many how many people do you get in the gym who come? I don't want to let the team down. I don't want to hold them back. And I'm like, yeah, that ain't happening. You know, people don't want it. People are fearful of that. And then if you dig into that deeper, if I don't want to let people down or hold people back, what's underneath that? Like, I don't want people to think less of me. I don't yeah. want people to think I don't try. I don't want people to think I haven't worked out or I'm not fit. So it's all of that's wrapped up, especially in a team dynamic where people go above and beyond what they think they're capable of for those reasons. And I don't think, I don't think that's wrong by any means. Is that ego? Like, again, like you have to have ego. Like it exists. Like you can't just, you can't kick ego out of the fucking car and be like, all right, never again. Like ego's useful. Yeah. But it sounds like an egotistical selfless act. I love it. It's everything. It's <laughs> yeah. everything. That's is, a is, that a, is that a thing? Uh, but I think, I think if you're, you're doing it for the team, but also doing it because you don't want to be shamed. I think there's like, there is both good and bad in that. Mm. Uh, no, not maybe it's all maybe the out the output is good, so maybe it's all good, and maybe I can't put one specific word to that. But the experience and the output of it is great because you know if we were doing like that exact workout was pretty much like so. Let's say there was four of you in the team, it was like 
you know, one on three rest, high intensity for an hour. It's like, would you have went that hard if that was just you doing assault bike intervals? Nope. Potentially nope. not. And would you have maintained that level of intensity and encouragement and being able to almost pass over your own pain for somebody else, therefore you're not feeling it in the same way. Everything that goes into that scenario is like, is brilliant. I actually think it's probably one of the best ways to get people to do intervals. Well, I was going to say that, like that team dynamic is a tool for those reasons, but you can't, you couldn't do that every day. No, no, no. Like it has to be utilized a certain way to get a certain response, to get everybody like to go from here to here, just because they all turn together. So now you saw what you could do on an air bike. And the next time you have to do it, if you are alone, now that's on you to hold yourself to the standards you already know you're capable of or not. I know when I came up recently, I sacrificed my legs on that bike and that hurt. Oh, yeah, you were in a bad way after that. That was great. <laughs> but, but would I have done that if I was doing that in the garage on my own? <clears throat> Probably not as hard. Nope. I don't know. I, I want to say yes, of course I would, but no, the reality is... I probably wouldn't have done. Absolutely. But then the the camaraderie, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say the camaraderie and the support and the the rest of the things that happen with that is, is brilliant that goes around it too. And that's, and that's where the the community or the brotherhood is, is, is built. Sisterhood or whatever, peoplehood, but it's, that's where it's built in those moments where weirdly a physical act on an assault bike feels as, sacrificial as sticking up for someone in a fight <laughs> mm. yeah. and coffee after like that uh creating that competitive environment like you you can never recreate that alone most times maybe there's the one percent that know how to do that but once you're in a competitive setting you're always gonna i believe to a degree go a little bit harder just based on the fact that that's the setting that you can never recreate without it mm. yeah I'd say when when you're by yourself doing the effort, you're probably still doing enough to get the desired outcome in yeah. terms of fitness and yeah. whatever you're doing. But it, yeah, I agree. It's never as much. It's that extra percent. Yeah, because there's training and then there's the expression of what you've been training. And I think competing is the expression of that and training is like just a little below that. Yeah. Yeah, except those team workouts where it's a little bit above it. <laughs> <laughs> the curtsy squats. Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah, let's let's never talk about them. They'll be in next week's program and the week. After. They're coming back. They're coming back for sure. <laughs> the curtsy squat cleans. Three different variations and yeah. Belgium split squats, curtsy squats, and cassock cassock squats. All for your yeah. uh, glutes. Cassock squat clean. That's the one, isn't it? I hope not. Get it on the. This sounds like a terrible idea. It sounds like, but it's, it does sound like an Instagram post. Um, <clears throat> hang on, no, but uh, surely it'd be uh, a devil's press into a curtsy overhead squat. That's the only way. <laughs> that is... I, I was just think thinking I about my lock. I was just thinking about my lockout position and thinking that's going to hit me in the head big time. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to drop him in front. <laughs> <laughs> then elbows. <laughs> just wait for the Instagram post. It's not. It's not coming. I tell you that is for sure. <laughs> oh man! 
Maybe that's um, a good time to stop before we kill ourselves. I was going to say, I think my coffee's wearing off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have another one to fall back. for you guys. It's only three. I'm going to have another one to fall back. I mean, Paul's not going to bed for four more hours, but you guys have kids. Uh, kids, kids are in bed. It's fine. Just <laughs> yeah. Throws me there. I wasn't. I was. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't. I, I don't know how to how to end really. Um, well, we didn't talk about ego at all. So that was great. And every time you talked about it, we deflected it, which I really enjoyed. So we played ego tennis for like a. <laughs> a good few hours. <clears throat> um, Keegan quashed the whole identity uh, concept, so that's gone. I mean, there is no identity. Yes, yeah, so um, I think we really knocked this one out of the park. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and depression and anxiety are great things. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and diabetes is curable. There you go. Oh, I feel like we've completed it. Yeah. I feel we'll like it. Prizes for four of us. Yeah. yeah, we just need to make this into um, a six-part syllabus, and um, <laughs> having to cure diabetes and, and become friends with your depression. Maybe, maybe we just let people listen and make their own mind up. Oh. That's probably for the best. There you go. <laughs> you want to say hi? You gotta look yeah. that way. I, f- I feel as if I need an animal, which I don't actually own. I don't own an animal that I, I can't bring an animal to the camera. Paul's been stroking his cat the whole podcast. It's been a little weird. I'm like a James Bond buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to use a different word, but I know the listeners over there have sensitive ears. My pussy's just fine. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> now we can edit there and you can edit that out. <laughs> I think that can stay in really. That'd be the soundbite. Yeah, it all stays in. Nice. Cool. Um, Amazing. Thanks. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna end it without any formal end. There you go. You can always add that on later. I think. Right. <laughs>